Shall we? Can we get a like maybe a, a, a bio of you, an introduction of you, and that can lead us into the to the conversation of what you're doing, what we're doing here? Sure. Um, so um, I am originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, I am a PhD candidate in the at the University of Minnesota in twin in Minnesota Twin Cities. Um, this is my fifth academic year, hoping to be done after the sixth. Uh, so it's it's getting there. Um, yeah, I I do Korean studies, uh, Korean modern Korean literature, uh, mostly of the '60s and '70s. I would say mostly of the '70s, at least for now. Um, and yeah, I used to be an English teacher here uh, for two years. Uh, I was in Hongcheon, uh, in Gangwon-do, mm-hmm. for for a year, and I taught at five different schools. Wow. Um, we can talk about that another day. Is that because you were really good or really bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was the role. Um, okay. That was, yeah. and then actually, I think so many of us maybe complained, uh, if that's the right word, mm. about this is too much. Like this is spreading us too thin. Yeah. We have no rapport with the students. You know, whatever. Um, and then they reduced it to four schools after, I think, after my year, and everybody that had that that position uh, before me. All only did one year. Mm-hmm. It's like hmm, maybe we should do something to keep them around longer. Yeah. Um, when was this? What? 2016. 2016. When I first came here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So eight years ago already, almost. Uh, and then I did a year in Hagwon in Noangu. Oh. Um, and if you're familiar with Uning Zagori. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where the Hagwon was. Mm-hmm. Um, and did that for a year, uh, and then. Couldn't really decide what to do. I knew I didn't want to keep doing the Hagwon mm. thing anymore. It was just too much. Mm. What brought you um, over to Korea in the first place? Like in 2016, were you a big K-pop fan or you were just like, no. let's go the other side of the world? I or? needed a job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, which sounds like, you know, you know, kind of a privilege thing, but uh, mm. that I can just travel and whatever. But uh, yeah, I failed two, two years in a row to get into graduate school. Uh, first for an MFA in poetry, and then second for uh, an MA in English literature. Um, I kept applying, and I got rejected. Um, and then I was working at Starbucks as a barista, typical English major stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I got my TESOL certificate and just thought, why not see get something on my CV and boost it a little bit and then mm. um, come back and maybe I'll get accepted finally. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, then I ended up going. T- I worked at an office job for a little bit, uh, didn't like it, and then went to grad school. And I, th- Korea was still sort of on my mind, and I wasn't sure exactly what to do with it. But I knew I was very much interested in youth and education and mm-hmm. development and something like that. And then um, over the last five years, it's been honed into literature. So because mm. my background, my undergrad was in literature, so I was like, so maybe I can do something with this. Um, and yeah, here we are. I've asked people that came in like the 1960s and 1970s about their first impressions and what it smelt like and things like this. Yeah. What was 2016 Korea when you arrived? Like I've never asked anybody that. What were your first impressions? It's quite recent, but also very long ago in terms yeah. of Korea. Um, well, it was interesting because I didn't really get to see... Not that saying that Seoul is all of South Korea, but I didn't get to see. <laughs> it is for uh, some people. Right. The rest 25 million people live within an hour of here. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think 2016, I, I got off the plane and then we stayed in a hotel for one night, like near Incheon. Mm. And then, sh- like, we went straight to Gangwon-do. Um, 
and uh, we met our uh, our co-teachers or whatever, and they sort of took us around. And so I, I, that was the Korea that I saw first, like, you know, driving through the mountains mm. in spring where everything is pretty much dead still. Um, and I was, you know, I was, I don't know what to expect. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't speak any Korean, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it was another couple of weeks until I saw, like I got to Seoul and saw what it was like. So Kangwondo and Hongcheon specifically was just total, I mean, I don't think culture shock is the right enough of a mm, word mm. it was just what am i doing i was like this is this is so different i live in this tiny studio apartment in the middle of a city in a mm. countryside city right like where nobody speaks english mm-hmm. uh i mean if they do i never knew <laughs> like um and then you just go to s- these schools and you're just supposed to teach to children yeah who at least the children I taught were quite low in their levels, which is very typical for like countryside. Um, and yeah, it was like, it took about a month or two to figure out like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I don't, did I make the right decision? Well, it's kind of too late. I already signed the contract. I'm here. So what am I going to mm-hmm. do? Uh, yeah. But the first impression I think was really just, uh, first of all, sensorium overload. Yeah. I mean, it smells different. It the air is different. It's heavier. It's even in the countryside. You know, it's the the food and the air is it's you know tangible. People talk about <laughs> shower pressures and things yeah. like this. And it, right. You know, and it, oh, my hair is different. And like, but they even talk about water pressure. Yeah. And, yeah air pressure. Um, the the fact that you have a shower room <laughs> with your washing machine inside of it uh, that was like. Okay. Uh, and you got to figure out how to wash your clothes. Also, no dryer. Mm. So that, to me, was like, I was, oh, my God, I was spoiled. Like, and now I don't – I have to buy a clothes rack and just wait. Yeah. And then my, ti- my you know, towels turn into, like, Brillo pads because they're so hard and, like, feel like steel. Um, yeah, just stuff like that. It was, like, just so different. Um, but that's – but something got into is, you. Right? But something about Korea because you did that. You did a year in no one. Then mm-hmm. you did a, you did an MA. You did a master's in Korean studies. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Now you're doing a PhD. And mm-hmm. Now you're back here. Mm-hmm. So there's something about Korea that's that's gotten into you somewhere. Yeah, it's like uh, Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> Pull me back in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I'm curious what that thing is though. Because um, if I'm not sure if it's describable, I'm not sure if it's the same for everybody. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's definitely not the same for everybody. Um, I've met people who just sort of wound up here. You know, they came after the IMF crisis and then just stayed um, because that's they saw an opportunity and then they just kind of, this is where their life fell. Um, and for me, it was, I don't know, it was just, it was always intriguing. I was always intrigued by the type of systems of society that work here or yeah. don't work for some people. Um the I think one of the biggest things was uh, I just always felt a different type of safer here. Um, and it was and that might be for a million different things. It might be just my anxiety. It might be um, overblown media coverage about how violent the U.S. is, which is really not depending on where you are. But it's not like it's war, a war zone, mm. you know. Uh, and so, yeah. So but it was a different type of thing. It was a different type of. Uh, a social uh, vibe. I don't know how else mm-hmm. to describe it. Mm-hmm. You, 
I've never been in a place where I thought, all right, I can leave my laptop here while I go to the bathroom. Like that, totally new thing. Yeah. And that sounds very, very naive, but that's, you know, you just don't do that in the States. You just, hey, can you watch my laptop while I go to the, you know, mm. it's like, that's, but here it's like, you just. You shouldn't even ask somebody. Right. That. You if, just you, go, if you say it's that, kind of go, strange, right? Wait, wait, right. <laughs> they wouldn't. Or you, yeah, or you go for a smoke, you go whatever, yeah. and you come back and it's right there. Uh, but that is not to say that people don't steal here. I want to, yeah. Make, yeah. Sure. I've had uh, one of my friends when we were living in Hongton had his bike stolen. They st- I was going to say yeah. they steal bikes. Some, That's some, a big thing. Something <laughs> about Tatanggol, like they. <laughs> That's like the very valuable thing, uh, which is strange because of the CCTV. Is outside. Yeah. And I, so I don't know what the appeal is. About. I called this concept in one of my articles malm spacing, which is a bad word, but it was this behavior that I saw everybody doing. Mm-hmm. And I would ask, and I was like, you know, people in other parts of the world don't do this. Mm-hmm. And Korean people would look at me and go, what? I'd be like, leave their stuff there. And then yeah. Because it's so, you become so used to it that you forget that it's different. Right. Uh, and you forget that what's going on. Um, what, what, what's your take on this, Yunso? Like this kind of mount, just leaving your stuff there. Did young people still into that, or is it you getting a oh. bit scared? Or because I mean, society changes very quickly, and sometimes mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we might feel very safe, mm-hmm. but sometimes I think young Korean people sometimes they feel more anxiety than us. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what's your take on safety or mount spacing? Yeah, I think that mount spacing is a thing in Korea still, and I think that it's because of Korean nunchi thing. I guess mm-hmm. because like. For bicycles, there are like people outside, but they do not really watch you standing right there. They just pass, mm. just walk away. Mm. But in cafe, you have like your seat, and other people are looking at you. You feel like they are looking at you, and you don't feel like to steal mm. in front of people watching you. Yeah. So that might be a nunchi thing, I guess. Do you feel safe here in general? Um. Yes, I do. Okay. Mm. So it's not yeah. like yeah, it's 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 what I like about the nunchi thing. It's not necessarily that Koreans are naturally morally better people or <laughs> no, they don't right, steal, right. but it's like Jesus, everybody's watching. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sometimes when my international students go, I feel like everybody's staring at me, mm. and I say to them, "You're becoming Korean." <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. all Koreans feel like people are staring at them all the time. That were name shison, like public gaze or something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that, is is a big thing here, isn't it? Yeah, that's. I think that's exactly right. Um, and I, th- and there's always different aspects to look at it. You know how you how safe you might feel as a woman mm. is probably very different from a male or whatever uh, your race, gender, whatever. Yeah. Obviously, there's. But I I just think that at least for me that was one of the first things that sort of resonated with me as an individ- as a an American person who. Arguably never studied anything about Korea until 2016. Could people in America believe that Korea was safe? Because I'm sure that, you know, I mean, I think for many people, Korea is associated with North Korea and missiles and war and just the very name. And this is not to throw shade on those people. Mm -hmm. But if you if you haven't been here, if you don't have the geographic knowledge, you might just think Korea. Wow. Missiles. Right. Or I got the question, uh, which one are you going to? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to. Even if you are in the dark about East Asian geopolitical matters, I yeah. think that you should still know. Uh, but yeah, that was that was one of the questions I got too. Um, but yeah, otherwise, 
that was like I said, that was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. I think that really stuck with me. But then to continue with living here and wanting to come back and teaching again, yeah, I don't know. I just I enjoyed it. I enjoy I enjoyed teaching as a thing, as a potential career. Um, obviously, the Hagwan thing didn't work out, but that wasn't because of the teaching or because of the students. It was like the structure of the mm-hmm. of the system that I just don't agree with anymore (laughs) you know and once you're in it you're like oh this is how things are going Mm -hmm. like oh students really don't eat dinner oh okay that's why they're eating amyeon at 11 o'clock at night you know it's it's things like that that i was like i i don't think i can you didn't like being part of that system no right right um and the yeah and i think every hagwan's different i've heard Mm -hmm. nightmare stories but I've also heard stories that people stuck around for five, six years at the same hagwon. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, it depends on a lot of things, your coworkers and your boss and your how much work they give you. Um, sometimes they're very generous. Sometimes they're very demanding. Mm. Um, but again, I think they're the system itself is more demanding on the students than the boss is on the teacher, you know, because yeah. you could leave as a teacher. You can leave and students they really can't they can go to another hagwan but mm-hmm. they're still in the same mm-hmm. sort of system at 10 years old you know so um yeah but i enjoy teaching <laughs> after all that yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and then yeah I, I think getting into korean studies um i wanted to know more i wanted to learn more about this place about this country its history its um the the peninsula's history i mean everything mm. um and everything sort of came together um in a literary sense so what did you is... do in the master what was the masters was there a focus in there or so in this program uh you get your masters along the way okay. to your phd so i've been at the same i've been in minnesota since i t- since 2019 okay so and then you just get your masters along the way mm. and then you you're accepted as a phd student and then you get that along the way and some people just master out and then they they think i don't want to do the rest of it right and which is totally understandable <laughs> yeah. uh but uh yeah so you you do that and then you just continue if you feel like you can do it um but yeah so that was in uh also korean literature mm-hmm. uh, or in asian studies i think but a korean literature yeah. focus yeah um yeah and you're doing korean literature and you're doing it specifically, well, round about the Pak Chung Yi mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is fascinating because on the way over here, you know, I was like, I didn't live during that time. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going right. to Like, so the, the Pak Chung Yi era, like 1961 to 1979, something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably the most, I don't know, transformative. You you call it the one of the most tumultuous, the tumultuous industrialization period led by the authoritarian president. Shall we perhaps like try to unpack some of that era? Like before we look at the literature and the people and the books, maybe Mm -hmm. tell us about this era, why you've chosen it and how you see it and what it is. I think in a lot of ways, uh, something happens when you're doing research, research that things happen serendipitously. You're interested in one thing, and mm. then you read one thing outside of your th- outside of your interest, and, you, and you're like, "Oh my god, I yeah. can make these connections." Yeah. And like I said before, I was always interested in youth and like development 
in a very general sense. Mm. Um, and so I thought, okay, I like, what can I do something with youth? And then I actually, this is sort of a roundabout story, but like I was interested in youth and education, but that seemed to me, I was speaking with one of my advisors and they said that was more of an anthropological approach Mm -hmm. rather than what our department does, which is more film and literature and sort of area studies kind of thing. It's Mm -hmm. just different. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I want to stay in this department. Um, And so anyway, once we uh, got in, I took my advisor's modern Korean literature class and we read um, Namo or The Naked Tree and Pak Wan-so and uh, the dwarf. And I was like, okay, there's something here with the youth in these stories, these young people mm. going through this period and developing alongside the nation that was developing. And it's sort of a Frederick Jameson kind of allegory thing. And I was like, okay, there's something there. And then I just sort of went down the rabbit hole, as you do like on Wikipedia, and you just mm. sort of learn and learn and learn and learn. Mm. Um, and something about the period just really fascinated me i was i was like how uh, how people look at it mm. is so vastly different depending on who you talk to and you know how do, how do you how does one deal with the fact that it was an extremely industrialized period where the gdp went up by thousands of whatever um but at the same time you had so much oppression and suppression um from the top down and i was thinking well how, how do people navigate that? Mm. And again, my background is literature. So literature is always going to be there. It's always going to have something to say. And I, I just got intrigued by that. I was, how, do, how does literature respond to this? Mm. Um, does it uh, act along those lines? Does it support these ideas of redevelopment or whatever? Or does it actively go against it? Um, and you find out that it's both, mm. that things... Go, can go both ways at the same time. So, yeah, I, tumultuous uh, is an interesting word. I think I had to choose something that meant up and down. Yeah. Just that it's in a confusing way, mm. sort of uprooting, mm. but at the same time, sustaining an idea of Koreanness. You know, it, it's, I was just like, what? You know, looking on the synonyms. <laughs> when, it, when I asked Yudso for what this might be in Korean, the word tumultuous, yeah. one of the words she gave was shikoron, mm-hmm. noisy, oh, which yeah. I think is a lovely Korean way of describing it. It's yeah. a very noisy period. Right. And if you ask people about Korean politics, they're like, ah, shikoron. Mm-hmm. They're just like, ah, it's noisy. Right, right. It's like that cacophony of events and people and voices mm-hmm. and perspectives. Would you describe Korea, South Korea as noisy now? Um, it's noisy in a silent way, you know. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> okay. It's uh, politics is noisy. Media mm, yeah. is noisy. Right. The the subways and the streets. My my students will sometimes. I'm not here, so I love the views of people that are just coming in here and getting those fresh eyes. Mm. Helps me defamiliarize. And they'll say, Professor, the subway's so quiet. Mm. The Japanese students will tell me, uh, the subway's really noisy. They, they will tell me, because compared to Japan, right. so is the Korean subway noisy or quiet? Well, it mm. depends where you come from. Mm. But the Europeans and North Americans will tell me, subway's really quiet, professor, it's freaky. Yeah. Nobody says anything. Right. Yeah. So there's the silence of it. Yeah. There's Nobody does small talk on the street. No. While you're waiting for a bus in Korea, you don't say, nope. <laughs> nice weather, isn't it? Right. Um, they, they'll just look at you. 
if they even heard you because they have their earphones in. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're watching some drama. On, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> or they're reading their, their webtoons. One yeah. headphone. <laughs> That's something that I've been researching. People just wear one headphone. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But why? What? Mm. I, yeah, you it, want to like um, go with your vibe with the music, but you also have to listen to the announcement of the bus coming. So, yeah, you cannot like have like one, only mm. one. Yeah, you cannot give up. Yeah. So they've always got to be plugged in. It's interesting. Yeah. Right? Right. I've seen people in shops do it and things like that. And so it's like, well, I'll talk to you if you want, but I've also got my music going at the same time. See, I have such an opinion on that because I think as I remember working in the service industry and people would come in with their headphone, their earphones in and order mm. and be on the phone at the same time. Mm. And I just, it's yeah. like, so yeah. that is like tattooed in my brain yeah. that I can't understand that, mm. that, if you can't have the best of both worlds, I don't. When I looked mm. at this, you sacrifice I, I said uh, in one of my pieces about the one earphone thing because I was in a. This sounds weird, but I was in a Fred Perry shop. Okay. Buying some like V-neck jumpers for winter because I needed some V-necks to wear, mm. and, uh, and so we went to Fred Perry. And you know, this is not like this is not Giordano. You're spending mm-hmm. a couple hundred bucks to buy right. some jumpers that will last, and. Right. Uh, the guy serving us had one headphone in. Really? Mm. This is not a convenience store in a subway station, <laughs> right? This is a whatever level of market you want to call it. But I was like, that's fascinating to mm. me. So I went and explored it. But what I'd say about this, Tanner, is that this is a real big tangent from the Park Chung era. But yeah. I, I, I struggle to put my elbows on the table when I eat. Mm. I was told not to do that. That's really rude. Mm. I was told not to put my hands in my pockets when I talk to old people. Right. Okay. And these are ingrained in me. But now people have got their elbows on the table, mm-hmm. their hands. like So etiquette changes. Right. And when I spoke to young people about uh, one headphone, they said to me, well, it means that I'm kind of open to conversation if you want it. It's like mm-hmm. not a red light. It's not a green light, but it's an orange light. So it's like mm-hmm. y- y- you want to talk if you're interested, I will. But if not, here we go. Do you think that's up to the other person or it's up to the person with the earphone in? I think it's up to the person with the earphone. It's yeah. up to you to be interesting to, right. <laughs> to talk to you. But Enough. it's like I'm not fully yeah. tuned out. Right. I'm kind of here. It's like a, uh, a social agreement or whatever it is. Right. Mm. It's a compromise, I mean, is the right. word. Yeah. It, it, obviously, they didn't wear one headphone in the Pak Tang era. No, right. <laughs> let, let's get back anyway, to yes. how do you How do you understand this era? Because none of us lived through that era mm-hmm. but it's not that far but it feels like a million miles away sometimes I guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tell us about this era a bit more as you see it um, I see it as very productive and I mean to use mm-hmm. it, production in in a sort of Marxist sense and productive in a sort of intellectual sense however you know uh, and and it's it's that's why I think I'm so intrigued by it is because it's I don't know how to understand it yet, and I don't know if other people really fully do, uh, even if they lived through it, because it's so. It depends on who you talk to, like I said, and um, it seems like it was productive for m- most, but also very suppressive or oppressive for others, um, depending on which side of the the fence you were on, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it was a very it was. Beyond the division of North and South Korea, I don't think, from what I can see, such an such an ideological divide internally mm. um, is what was happening, especially during the 1970s. What was the div- ideological divide? I think yeah. you had communism and anti-communism, and mm. I think you also had sort of, if you want to call it like, doshi-sung, 
like something urban is like mm-hmm. this sort of urban mentality, this sort of developmentalist de- mentality. And in that you have, you're going to have people who are left behind mm-hmm. and who are almost left behind on purpose mm-hmm. because we are a forward thinking nation. Now we need to move on. We need to get over the Korean war and our losses and our whatever. Yeah. You had family members who passed away, but uh, well, it's 1975 now, it's, mm-hmm. you know, that was 20, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, and so I think it's such a, an up and down emotionally, intellectually, uh, economically. I, I think all of these things were happening at the same time mm-hmm. in a relatively short period of time. And so when you look at phrases like miracle on the Han, it, 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 miracle for who, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. a, in a global sense, sure. If we look past all the other small details about it, um, yeah, there's a lot of skyscrapers now. But as you said in your previous video, was it worth it? Mm-hmm. Like, wh- how do we determine that? So yeah. that's how I see the period is is in just complex and productive and industrialized and big things and you know money, but at the same time. Just a, an enormously expanding gap of wealth mm. that occurred during that time, not just in South Korea, but in the world over. But was it very forward thinking? Do you say was it? Did it have its eye on the future <clears throat> rather than the past? Excuse me. Because that's how from I, the top. I, yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so very much. Um, Park Chung Hee is quoted in uh, many different speeches about. We have to honor this past, but also get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's there. We have a very traditional Korean minjo society, mm-hmm. um, but look at all the stuff that we could accomplish. Mm-hmm. Look at what we can do as a people uh, if we forget the rest of the you know yeah. the past. Um, but the general population, the actual minjo, not so much. Uh, very much. In the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of literature involving nostalgia and uh, things like that. So clearly they weren't exactly mm. you know, seeing eye to eye. Yeah. Um, this semester, I realized that many South Korean people and Asian people more broadly have no concept of intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just a remnant, or maybe they just give it different names or different words. But you can see there, maybe in your what you're saying about Park Chung Yi, it was just like, no, let's go forward. Yes, mm-hmm. there's bad stuff in our past, and Korea had perhaps more bad stuff than many other nations around the world. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was necessary to kind of forget some of that mm-hmm. to go forward in Park Chung Yi's mind. Right. You saw the Park Chung Yi era. Do you do you learn about it at school? Does it, like your grandparents, your parents sit down and tell you like <laughs> Latin and Malia yeah. or something yeah, like yeah. that? What's what's your take on that era? Mm. Um, we Korean students learn it in history textbook, mm. but the textbook is pretty neutral about him because I think that um, he is he was the kind of president who got very multi-dimensional evaluation mm. because he made the industrial industrialization mm. to be a thing mm-hmm. and he developed a country but the method that he used was um, somehow compulsory mm. so people who remembers the pain in that era may evaluate him as a bad person but people who look at the further distance would feel him as a great leader Mm-hmm. who led the Korea to be like developed country. Um, 
So the textbook covers like all kinds of his stuffs, very neutral way.、Mm. And I also asked my parents about him because I was being in this podcast, but he, they didn't quite give, gave me their opinion because they just wanted my opinion on、mm. this one. Did you come up with an opinion? Um. I'm not really sure, but do you remember the allegory that I told you mm, mm, in your car?、Uh, the thing was, if you want your children to be to go to elite university,、um, then if you support them with money and love and happiness, they would be happy and you would be good parents. But they would be feeling free, too free to study, right? But if you just deprive them of their phone and like. Disconnect their internet access.、Mm. They would possibly study and get a good grade, but they would be soulless robotic genius.、Mm, I think. So Park Chang Yee took away people's yeah, TVs like, and so on. Yeah, reading from the novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.、Mm. Many Koreans say, "I didn't have a television growing up," and、mm. things like that. That was、mm. a big thing. Yeah,、mm. taking that away. There's a fabulous. I just had this. There's a fabulous photo in the, the Hungarian ambassador's name. Who's it's just escaped me. Something like Moses Samosa. That's a really bad pronunciation.、Mm. But he wrote a history of Korea through both the South and North Korean lens and how they interpret all the different events. Fascinating、mm. book. Very difficult to get hold of.、Mm. But in the back, there's a photo of Park Chung-hee sat. In the White House with JFK, and he sat there with his sunglasses on, smoking a cigarette. And I'm just、mm-hmm. looking at this man, going, "Wow!、Mm-hmm. Just imagine doing that today. Imagine、mm-hmm. rocking up in the White House with your shades on, smoking a cigarette,、right. talking to the U.S. president. I know it's a different time,、mm-hmm. but it just blew me away how much of a different time that was. Right, that you could do that. You could sit opposite the president." In the white, was smoking a cigarette with your sunglasses on, just sat back.、Right. You could almost see him, God. He's a very small man. Yeah, I was just like,、yeah. that's some confidence, man. That's a military man.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much a military man. Very much poised in his confidence,、uh, especially I, I, the, those sunglasses. Those what are they? Aviators. Yeah,、uh, that's like such a his iconic look. Yeah, and the the watch I think that he gave to Bakunye,、um, which was like an uproar thing. About her wearing that.、I、Speak、think. about the watch.、Uh, there, in one of the famous presidential pictures of Park Chung Hee,、uh, he's、mm-hmm. wearing a, a gold watch, and I think there in, I want to say 2016 or something like that,、mm-hmm. uh, when Park Geun Hye was pr- still president,、yeah. uh, something like she wore the watch、uh, to a speech or something, and there was like this uproar about like this this memory of this man. Obviously, that's her father,、mm-hmm. but. Uh, I might be getting something wrong, but I remember something about the watch and her wearing it, and it, and it being like,、uh, "Why are you wearing that?"、Mm. Um, because it's such, you know, I think almost like cigarettes, like these these pictures, like they you capture this the the man or the individual, mm. Mm. and、uh, it's that is one of those things that. I will remember. Yeah, is like either him with that watch, him smoking, or him pointing at something. <laughs> yeah, you know those are the <laughs> like those are the three things.、Um, but yeah, very very. I think he, to his credit, I think was very a confident man, and these pictures I think definitely show it.、Mm. Um, but if you want to talk about the man Park Chung Hee, if we can get into that <laughs> now or later, but、uh, there are some things that I have read about him that. Are quite interesting too.、So. What's what's interesting?、Um, according to one of his、uh, 
biographers um, who wrote, I think the most famous biography of Park Chung-hee, um, From Poverty to Power, uh, Lee Jong-sik. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the title or the cover page has, you know, one of his pointing pictures. Um, but he talked about his reverence for Napoleon um, and because of Napoleon was, I think this is actually historically inaccurate, but like was always seen as a short individual. That's how he was portrayed by portrayed, British propaganda, yeah, right. I think. And so there's like this, it's almost, you know, myth at this point that mm. Park Chung-hee looked up to, because Park Chung-hee was a very relatively short man, especially for being a president. Yeah. Um, and uh, he looked up to Napoleon because of the short stature. But oh, look what look at all he did, mm. um, and th- you know. So that that's sort of like it's almost like anecdotal, or uh, you know, sort of. I don't know if it's actually true, but that's in his in that particular books. Um, you were talking story. about some of the myths as well, like the cast the not the castor oil, the, uh, the, soy, the soy sauce. Yeah, what's the soy sauce myth? Um, yeah, like um, as I hear, there was a myth that. If a pregnant woman drinks a bottle of soy sauce, mm. like whole thing, mm-hmm. she would lose her baby mm-hmm. in her belly. Mm-hmm. So like her mother, his mother didn't want him to born. So <laughs> yeah, she tried rolling down the hills or something like that mm. and drank the whole bottle of the soy sauce. But I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he borned anyway. Yeah. <laughs> His destiny. Yeah. But it's amazing that, you know, everybody's heard these stories. Mm. Yeah, I know. It always, it it gains a mythical quality to it, right? Mm. Like any other leader or whatever. Do you know that he went through such trials and tribulations as a child and like this Herculean sort of, you know, look at all the great things he did then. Uh, It's become even more true because I was fascinated that Yunson knows these stories as well. I was like, wow, even your generation. It's like snowballing and becoming hyper real. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, it, that's why when you said, I was intrigued by the word neutral that you used in, in mm. it, you know, um, I, I, wh- how, do, how would you define neutral? Um, he, Park Chung-hee did such and such, and like it's sort of stated in a fact way. And like, how do they, what do you mean by neutral? Mm. Like just sort of he did things and that's it? They just list up the things that he did and yeah. they do not say he did good thing or bad thing. Right. They do not say those. Does it talk about the anti-communist oppression um, um, and his KCIA dealings? <laughs> I'm wondering. <laughs> As I remember, the textbooks didn't really dig into like his earlier biographies. Okay. I think, yeah, like maybe after him being a president thing is the main thing in textbook. Mm-hmm. Because they focuses on the like presidential period, right? Mm. Yeah. Do do the textbooks say much? Because there's a big controversy over textbooks in Korea. Who oh, gets yeah. to yes. control? Who gets to write yeah. the past? Yeah. yeah. It, do, do you ever study much when you study that area about communism, like Kong Sanjui or B, what anti-communism mm-hmm. of that time? Is that ever mentioned in the textbooks in when you do Sunung and Yoksa? Hmm. As I remember, it was pretty brief. Yeah. Yeah, mm. not so deep. Yeah. I remember even at graduate school, one of my professors, we got we were doing like international political economy. He got to the chapter on communism. He went, we're skipping that. And he was just like, just no, we do not talk about this. And mm. I, I think, you know, there's, there's certain elements that that's a very kind of strong mm-hmm. word or idea, the idea of communism and... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
we have you know socialist parties in Europe and things right. like that. We're not too scared of the word. Right. Mm. Um, but over here, I think there's a still great big sensitivity to it. Right. Mm. Depending on the time and the era and you know the context and yeah, who's who's leading the government at that period of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The anti-communism thing is is always very interesting because. Park Chung Hee was a member of the Workers' Party in the late forties. Yeah. So he, he was arguably a communist, or at least communist leaning. Mm-hmm. So, so those what do you have to say pla- about that? Those five-year plans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, state-centered eco- economic growth. Yeah. You know, there's a. I sometimes wonder, is that did you mentioned earlier this idea of the miracle on the Han River, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm not sure where that term first came from. Actually, that'd be an interesting thing to to find out. Was yeah. it? Did it come from the West? Did it come from America? Did it come from Korea? Because sometimes it's used to hide the fact that so many, you know, factory girls were just sent in mm-hmm. from the countryside, mm-hmm. right, from the Tibangs in into. It wasn't a miracle. This was blood, sweat, and tears, and mm-hmm. lives, and mm-hmm. John Teil and mm-hmm. the, the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the miracle on the Han River, this kind of like, oh, comes down from the skies. But mm-hmm. it it wasn't democracy that made Korea rich. Right. Mm-hmm. Korea got rich and then it became a democracy. Mm-hmm. It's like, so there's this American dream that's projected. If you become a democracy, mm-hmm. you'll become rich. But it's like, uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Here they became rich by really controlling the economy, mm-hmm. I think. it's always It was always the economy first and mm-hmm. democracy second. Yeah. If if at that. <laughs> and then human rights, maybe sixth. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I'm not exactly sure. And I should know that, uh, where the term miracle on Han came from. Uh, my, cynical, I, go on. I, I don't believe it came from internal. I don't think it came from South Korea. I That's feel like it, was, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it definitely came from, uh, either the U S or one of its allies, but I'm, quite sure it would be the u.s a washington think tank yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah. this is this is how we sell it right yeah. we, we have a quick slogan and now we can invest in south korean mm. ed, export import whatever um yeah so i'm, I'm fairly certain yeah. about that but uh shall we perhaps yeah. move on to some sure. of the the literature sure of this time so how you get into that and um you you chose these various books um Maybe Korean literature more broadly. Before we look at the Korean literature of that era, or you can start mm-hmm. there if you want. But I think K-pop is well known, K-dramas, K-movies, mm-hmm. um, Korean literature. Is there such thing as Korean literature? Is Korean literature <laughs> different? I mean, sometimes it feels like it it stands in the shadow of Japanese literature with right. more well-known figures, Natsumi Sasaki, mm-hmm. Haruki Murakami, those kind of things. Korean literature, mm-hmm. Tana? Um, sure. Uh, I think Korean literature, like every literature from at least East Asia, has very, very deep roots. Uh, mm-hmm. From the very little knowledge I have about pre-modern uh, literature, is it was very much a, a Yangban thing in uh, the Joseon era, um, but it was it was written in Hanja. I mean, it was this was a thing that wasn't very accessible um, for a very very long time, um, arguably until the twentieth century. Um, even then, um, but it so they had a lot of f- uh, formal techniques, uh, a lot of poetry. Um, there's you could argue the the um, uh, Chunghyang, uh, 
that sort of thing was like literature, even, you know, pantori, mm -hmm. I, I would could also consider that a type of literature. Um, and then you had the, the um, what is it, 1894, I think the Kubo... Uh, uh, the Gabo reforms? Gabo, Gabo yeah, 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 the reform, reforms, yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, where you had the introduction from Japan via the West about these different techniques, different types of literature that were influenced mostly from France and Germany. And then you have this sort of train of thought. Mm. And then, like with everything around the turn of the 20th century, you had this sort of modern thing, this modern literature that comes in and, oh, we don't have to write in these strict forms for our poetry. We can experiment a little bit. We can have vers libre, like the free verse poetry, whatever, mm. um, and things like that. And so around that turn of the century, you had a lot of experimentation, um, as you did in Europe. I mean, with the modernists in the early 20th century. It was more or less the same thing here. It just took a little bit longer to get here. Um, but you did have a lot of experimentation, especially under colonialism. Uh, you A very, very interesting relationship between adapting these forms that they learned a lot of the sort of literati people like Yi Guangzhu, who studied in Japan mm. and then came back and brought these forms that he had learned and then sort of, you know, now they proliferate and they spread. Um, and yeah, you. so how do we adapt these in a Korean way? How do we write our own history, write our own narratives, but in these sort of borrowed forms? Mm. And I'm very cautious to use it like that because forms are forms. I don't know if they belong to anybody. Um, but yeah, and then you had the twenties and the thirties and you had the CAPF, the Korea proletaria, Korea artist proletaria federation, um, from the late twenties to the thirties, um, who were very, very, uh, you know, what's the word? Pro yeah. Proletariat leaning, uh, mm -hmm. very influenced by Marxism and things like that. And then it was no surprise disbanded, uh, because under colonial, uh, censorship, um, I, I know nothing about that group or yeah. the, the writing or something. I mean, during that time, I think of was it the Isang and things like this. Yeah, tell Isang, me about the yeah. proletariat writers. It was very, um, very focused on the, 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 like I said, influenced by Marxist thought. Um, to do, Mar do Marxists make good poetry? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, right. It wasn't. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was focused on you know the laborer, the yeah, the. Yeah. The proletariat and the mm. the landowners mm. a very uh divisive and distinct us and them kind mm. of thing um and it did get them somewhere i think it got them to experiment with different uh forms and different sort of allegorical type works mm. um but i th in my opinion i think it only got them so far um and then because it it's i mean how much can you write about us and them it's it becomes a very uh, prescriptive or very uh, stereotypical almost type mm. of style. I mean, mm. some people might disagree. But um, but then you had like the 30s and Isang and things like that who got more, much more focused on the individual. And with the 30s, you had this sort of more modernization. You had like the, the department stores and you had like mm. this developed colonial city that, you know, now we have trains and buses and we have to get around and we have these office jobs and mm. they, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we're still subjects to the colonial rule. So uh, how do we navigate being an individual under this system 
but also part of this sort of world system now um, that we're involved in, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then it's kind of sort of getting there eventually. Um, and then you have, so that was like sort of the modernism. And then I would say 50s, 60s, you had a turn to realist works, mm-hmm. a more much more societal focused you know social psychology kind of deal where so much was happening obviously the war you know a civil war how do we deal with our brothers and sisters and families right over there on the other side and now we can't see them for the rest of our lives so mm-hmm. like how do you deal with that in a very realist sense um that's not using naturalist approaches not use it's I want to describe this in the most visceral, the most emotional, realistic way I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the 50s going into the 60s, you had that. You had this sort of uh, much more bleak outlook uh, because the the war had just destroyed everything that we had. And so how do we rebuild? Mm-hmm. Well, here's Pak Tung-hee, and he wants to rebuild everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, but he's not that great of a... You know, so it's... Um, and that's where I, that's where my interest comes in. I think. It's... So the writing of the time is like the realist. So, as you see it, they go through the pre-modern, which is the Hanja and the, mm-hmm. the traditional forms. The modernist writing is during the colonial period, and that's kind yes. of more experimental. Yes. And uh, and then, as the Republic of Korea, South Korea, gets established, and it's trying to go through these things, it's more realist writing. I would say. Yeah. This might be a difficult question, but. All countries' literature, they'll be sort of rebelling or reacting to their literature of the past. Mm-hmm. So although sort of all different countries might be writing modern literature, their roots will be different. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about what the different, like the, the Hanja, the, the literature of the, the Joseon dynasty, you, you mentioned like traditional forms and things mm-hmm. like this. Can you say anything about that, what people were rejecting? Because I... I, I know Dostoevsky and I know Chaucer and mm-hmm. I know Tolstoy. If somebody asked me to name a, a, a Joseon Dynasty writer, I might go, um... Oh, I would. I think I would struggle to. <laughs> Any writers from the Joseon Dynasty? Yeah. Joseon Dynasty? Yeah. Joseon Dynasty. Maybe Hogyun or someone like that. Okay. Yeah, it feels like a KSAT now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, we're all failing it together. Uh, and yeah, and I'm sure there are plenty of scholars who would say, "Oh, okay, don't you think of this guy or that?" Yeah, you know, whatever. They're screaming uh, at us right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, if they were, I know for sure in the 20th century, and particularly the period that I focus on, there was a concern about how do we define national literature. Now that we are a nation, now that we are, we have this thing of a country that, you know, we are just sort of left with. Okay, how do we write it in our way? Mm. How do we decide that? Um, and I think that was, I would argue it's still very much going on in a, in a sense. Um, very much like how do you define K-pop? What is the K? There's a lot of yeah. uh, research going on about that too. So, um I would, in reaction to, um, so I'll say two things. One thing is the generation of writers that I focus on is the Hangul generation, Hangul Seide, um, who chose, or they were the first generation of writers who um, did not grow up having to learn Japanese. Mm. Um, and so that 
was very significant. Um, so like Cho Sehi, um, Hangul generation, didn't have to learn um, Japanese, and so didn't have to write in it. Didn't have to. Didn't maybe didn't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the Hanja thing, a lot of the work I read still has Hanja in it. Um, maybe not the updated Korean versions, but the original definitely has a lot. Mm. Um, and I think maybe Yunso, you can attest to this. Y- young people don't learn Hanja as much if mm, they, if at all. Don't. Yeah. Um, so that shows you. Please don't tell my kids this. Yeah. If they do their gubot and right, right. But go on, go on. No, I, and I, I, I sort of kick myself. I would love to learn. I would love to dedicate, I should say, more time to learning Hanja because mm. it's it's very integral to what I have to read. But it's I learn it as I go, kind of thing. Um, were they still well, just while you're talking about the form? So when mm-hmm. they were writing, this was the Hangul Shide uh, Sede, mm-hmm. um, which interesting. I've not heard that before. Mm-hmm. Were they still writing top to bottom, back to front at that time? Because you you say there's Handa mm-hmm. in there, so mm-hmm. that that's the, the form switched because you still read. People still read some manhwa, right? I think some of the comics and. Some of the books, you know, this is a very Western style, mm-hmm. top to bottom, left to right, whereas right. previously mm-hmm. it was it was completely flipped, wasn't it? That's a good question, and I I don't have a a particular maybe Yunzal, you know, I don't know the specific. I I don't I think it was a very messy turn. Yeah. Uh, some of the archival lo- book um, works I've looked at um, were from you know from the sixties or seventies were top to bottom, right to left. Mm. And then I would start trying to read it left to right. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, I got to read it backwards yeah. or backwards. Um, I I don't know about the transition. I don't, I think it was very messy. I think mm. it was, I don't think it was ever decided. It was just sort of one day, this yeah. is how this individual is going to write. And then I think the readership was just sort of left to mm-hmm. like, oh, this person's writing like this. Now I have to read it like that. Um, I don't know. Do you? No, mm, no. <laughs> when the transition happened, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if there's an exact answer for that. Mm. Um, there's another one that we need to go and Google. Yeah, later. <laughs> yeah. we need a little Google person sitting here. Right. It happened in 1975 yeah. thanks to a dictator. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like when you when you look at say pictures from you know the colonial period, you can kind of guess uh, like you know if there's a a sign for a store or something, you could kind of. More or less, it's it's going to be right to left, mm-hmm. I'd say, in most of them. But uh, so, like signs, I think in the pictures that I've seen of Pak Dong-hee era, mostly left to right. But mm. it's it's anybody's. There was definitely guess. a lot more Hanta. Yeah, that you right. you don't just see as much. We talked about this right. on the last podcast, but just in the newspapers, the books, the signs, mm-hmm. the streets, there was just you yep. could see that was. That was changing. That mm-hmm. was taking place. You mentioned, should we maybe some of the the writers, mm-hmm. um, or some of the literature itself? Can you maybe we should open up some of these because I'm curious because I I didn't study Sunung, so I don't. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> <laughs> t- t- tell us some uh, about some of these. Maybe maybe the dwarf. Okay, um, sure. the The dwarf. I that was the first novel I think that really really intrigued me about what is happening in this period. Mm. Um, and it actually happened, this was written in 1978 and 79, so very right at the very end. Um, it was, it's a novel of, it's a very, very broken novel. Um, and it's, 
and I'm forgetting the Korean ver- word for it right now, and I should know this, but like it's a, basically a stitched together novel. Yeonjang so something. Um, mm. That's not right, but it's like it's stitched together these stories that could be read individually, mm. but they are made up together in a specific way to make a novel. Mm. And then if you read them like that, it make it does make sense. Okay. Um, but they were published individually. Uh, um, in, in a newspaper, in a, newspaper, in a journal, yeah, or something? in a newspaper. Um, and I am forgetting what journal it was published in. Um, the actual full title, just before we continue. Yes. Yunso, the full title of this in Korean? 난장이가 쏘아올린 작은 공. A little ball shot by a dwarf. Mm-hmm. Or 난소공. Yeah. Mm. For short. <laughs> yeah. It's a fascinating title. Yeah. Just alone. The English, just the dwarf is, it's not, it's not enough, is it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, the, the I, well, that's uh, one of the, the, the whole book, the whole title of, or the whole collection of stories is, that's one of the short stories mm-hmm. in that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the dwarf, they just, uh, particularly Bruce and Chuchan Fulton, their translation, they just shortened it to the dwarf to make it more, you know, yeah. snap and zippy or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting title. But I think also there's a word or there's a, in my opinion, there might be a concern with the use of nanjangi, nanjangi with, because it's sometimes been translated as midget, mm-hmm. um, which is not necessarily politically correct mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so dwarf is much more acceptable in the sort of zeitgeist of, of at least English translation things. Is nanjangi still acceptable today in polite society? Um, yes, because it just, as a Korean, it feels Mm. like, uh, seven dwarfs from Snow White or something. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, that makes sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think because of English, we have like the sort of derogatory now words that you just sort of. Dwarf is just much more say uh, easier for people to pass along, yeah. you know. Um but yeah, anyway, the 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 story yeah focuses on uh a family of a dwarf who live in a um uh Panjachon, uh so like a shanty town um on the outskirts of uh, a factory. Uh, they live in uh a, an unlicensed shack more or less that's built along uh, on the outskirts of the factory, and it it circles on their lives and their interactions with uh, with labor and with um, sort of uh, what's the word exploitation, both in in a in a laboring sense, but in a sexual sense, and and all these things. Um, and it shows the distinct approaches that classes had to solve different issues um, mm-hmm. that were occurring. There's a great scene um, that's written like a play um, that is it's this, the union has has organized to uh, what's the word, haggle or um, negotiate with the, the, the managers mm-hmm. and it's written like a play in, you know, with the dialogue back and forth yep. and it's, it's so great because it's such a divided scene and they're, it gets to the point where they're just talking past each other mm-hmm. And it's so spot on mm-hmm. about how things would actually go um, in these sort of negotiating things. Like, yeah, you have the masses, but we have the money. So who's going to, you know. Um, and then it just sort of like gets into a thing about like, oh, well, anyway, what are we doing later today? Like, it's just, you know, it's just sort of it's nonchalant from the managerial side um, and the worker side are, well, it's back to work now because, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And it, it 
it's really amazing to to see that written about how things are represented, mm-hmm. how things are, um, how, to me, how things actually were. And this type of novel, uh, according to uh, Yu Youngju, who's a very great scholar at University of Michigan, um, th- this type of work is a, uh, I believe it's repo, like mm-hmm. reportage type novel, mm-hmm. um, and, which was Cho Se-hee, like he would travel around with his camera uh, and take pictures of Pantaton and like really be engaged in the sort of like journalistic mm. way of 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 writing, um, and the the novel just fascinated me and I wanted yeah. to wanted to get in more into it. So it's amazing because I I haven't read this. It's one of the, okay. I have to hold my hands up and go. I haven't got there yet. I know yeah. I need to. But Yunso, you've read it. Yes, I did. But you read it very differently. For you read it. For yeah, a, it was very different because yeah. um, for me it was not a very novel artwork for me. It was the material for class. Right. Yeah. So like our teacher would bring the book and assign us to buy the book like each person. Mm. And we just had to memorize the lessons of the book or summarizing the plots of the book in a certain way that the teacher wanted Mm. or the KSAT wants. Right. So we understood that there was a difficulty during that time. Like the poor families do not living very happily in the shanty town, mm. and their dream won't be true even in the Seoul. Mm-hmm. Those kind of s- struggles, but we did not really feel it, which is very different from your approach on the novel. Mm. So, <clears throat> sorry, I actually ha- had a chance to talk about the Nansogong the novel with my friends yesterday, mm. and all of our friends just agreed that it was just a KSAT thing. Like, we Mm. didn't really empathize or, like, feel the novel. We just had to memorize it, which is the reason why we forgot about all the plots. Mm -hmm. It's amazing that, you know, the the young people of today, there's this novel and it doesn't move you. Mm. And then somebody the other side of the world (laughs) reads it and go, yes, the people! (laughs) That's the power of literature, though, I think. And Mm. sometimes that's one of the fascinating things where you think you're getting something like that speaks Korean or that's very authentic, and you come here and you speak to Korean people and they're like, oh, my God, that thing. Right. Mm. Yeah. I think it would be similar uh, for a a lot of, uh, say, Americans who have to read Moby Dick to kill a mockingbird, uh, right? Or to kill a mockingbird, <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to just get through, maybe they have to take the GRE for grad school or something, and you know, yeah. you just have to have this sort of broad knowledge of American literature. Okay, Emerson and uh, you know, Melville, and then yeah. uh, Hemingway, and you know, it's like okay, this is sort of sort of survey of stuff I just have to memorize. Yeah, yeah. Do you know anything about the author Cho Sehi? Yeah, uh, Chong Se-hee. It wasn't sort of like class tourism then. It wasn't like, let's... Uh, no. It's just because I like that term, I yeah. think I wanted to use it. But do you know what I mean? Let's, right. uh, let's go and investigate the poor people for a mm. while. <laughs> well, who is yeah. Chong Se-hee? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's a... He actually recently uh, just passed away uh, last year. Yeah, about a year ago now. Um, and uh, what's to tell about him? Um I don't know much about his his upbringing besides the the whole, you know, just learning in strictly Korean, um, which actually I should be doing much more research about him. But uh, I do know that he there's a again with this uh, professor you from Michigan uh, talked about there's a sort of story about him that his 
he was recently asked, I think, about uh, some sort of celebratory thing about his book, like it was the year or something, or so, sold so many copies. Anyway, he was at this book event, mm. and he, um, they asked him during the lecture, um, you know, what do you think about this book? You know, your first big book being so popular again, and you know, fifty almost fifty years, forty years later, or whatever. And he goes, well, that's not a good thing. Like, I didn't write this book to hope that everything would still be the same, if not worse. Oh. And now he's like, it's not necessarily a good thing. I'm paraphrasing, but it's, mm. you know what I mean? He he was very, uh, it seemed like he was very conflicted mm-hmm. about the 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 treasuring of his book. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this was not a guide <laughs> to the future about how we should be divided in classes. Um, so I, I think that was a very fascinating little sort of story about him. Um, but his upbringing, yeah, I'm not too sure about him specifically. When you talk about the future, I mean, is that where we see sort of Bong Joon-ho's work? And yeah. Is he, right. Do we see influence there going on that the, I think the, so. the class struggles and things like this were being played out in the 70s? People were talking about class and mm. the ruling class, the bourgeoisie, the proletariat, things like this, that there was class consciousness during the, the 70s. Very much so, yes. Uh, I think there's a lot of influence uh, from the specifically, I think the 1970s, um, going into the 80s, about class consciousness and being very aware of, hey, wait a minute, okay, we do have the supposedly we do have these things, we have things now, mm. um, yet other people don't, and it's very very exasperated now. It's much actually much worse uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, um, so much so that we have to invent. Uh, you know, we have to have these things to house people mm. underground mm. Um, t- so that we can provide shelter for them. But they are poor, so they can't afford to live above ground. Mm. Um, very much a thing in Parasite, right? Yeah. And that the, the class distinction. Um, so I think there's a lot of influence, but it's not necessarily so well known. I think if you asked a person who saw Parasite, do you know about this issue from... 50 years ago, and I, mm-hmm. I would say they probably don't know. Um, but One of the interesting things for me, maybe because I'm British and we're a little bit more sensitive or conscious mm-hmm. of class, perhaps, mm-hmm. is that if you give me somebody's name or their accent, we might be able to guess which socioeconomic strata. So if you say Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. and then you hear his voice, I'm going to go, well, he's clearly from a certain class. Right. If you get a Korean name, Kim Ji-hae, Mm-hmm. Park Won's, I have no idea what class they might be right. and that's really because they were so demarcated by class for, mm-hmm. for 500 years if not more but they were very distinct classes and mm-hmm. different yang band but they would have different roof tiles colors mm-hmm. on their house wear different clothes and then all of a sudden you're all equal mm-hmm. just telling everybody you're all equal but they realize they're not and you can't distinguish them necessarily by by accent as much, mm-hmm. or by name, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's a re- it's really different how it plays out here, and maybe that's one of the reasons why beauty becomes a thing, mm-hmm. because they demarcate. You know, the the rich people are generally very pretty. You know, right. that's how you can. It, you, Yunso, are you able to tell people's class? I know it's a very sensitive thing, but you're able to look at people and go, "Really rich? That person definitely Yang Ban. That mm-hmm. person's that." Or is, is class a thing in in South Korea? Um, not really, but people like to be seen as a rich people, but, mm. um, there is a thing in like Western countries, 
the old money aesthetics, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Old money look yeah. 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 is really popular these right. days. But I don't think that that aesthetic is a thing in Korea. But um, I'm, I'm the person who thinks that being a pretty pe- people in Korea is a privileged thing a mm. little bit in a way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the K-pop celebrities... are pretty and they are rich mm-hmm. and maybe people would think them being a rich people like in their mind mm-hmm. yeah yeah subconsciously yeah, yeah subconsciously mm-hmm. so as you said the beauty being the maybe a class thing in korea maybe that like not a money indirect way but mm. like in roundabout way beauty may be the class in mm-hmm. korea i'm I, i'm not sure whether i should be Uh, flattered or terrified by the fact you had enough faith in my Korean to look at me and go, <laughs> <"Wee should talk laughs> Sorry. And ask me. <laughs> I'm glad I had the answer for you. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's different how these class things plays out mm. because class is, I think, very sensitive here because talk of class is associated generally with sort of maybe communism and, mm. and Marxism mm-hmm. and all of the things that go north of the border. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now... And this is such a multifaceted phenomena or issue with uh, the sort of multicultural aspect of it. Now mm. we introduce different, uh, you know, nationalities, ethnicities, races. Uh, now we're structuring in a, in, in a multifaceted way, in a very multi-structural way. How to mm. how to, um, you know, it's it's becoming very difficult. I think in South Korea, and I think South Korea, the government. Uh, for better or for worse, is trying to deal with uh, how do we approach multicultural education, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's a struggle, I think, from what I've seen and heard from uh, from people who are studying it, um, because it's very new. How do yeah. you, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, you know, f- you have people from Southeast Asia, how do we incorporate them? And there's a, one of the big issues is at least in my humble opinion they are a lot of effort is made to koreanize them how do we incorporate them into our society Mm -hmm. um rather than value their uh, contributions and their ethnicities and practices Mm -hmm. uh, how do we not just accommodate but how do we integrate them into us um which historically doesn't really work um but you know It, that's the reality of it. There's mm. more people coming, um, and they have to deal with it. Mm. So, when you introduce more classes, you're obviously going to have more problems, mm. um, different races. And it's just human nature, I think. Yeah. Um, so, and the thing with the dwarf is, yeah, it deals with just Korean people, right? It doesn't really deal with any sort of multicultural issues. Mm. Um, it's just a class thing. Whether you're rich or poor, you're all still Korean, right? You you mm. all have this sort, yeah. Um, yeah, the you know the the Han people, right? Like mm. the they like you know yeah. that that yeah. sort of it's there, right? It's it's palpable, um, but not so much anymore. I think maybe mm. some people are hanging on to it, other people are not. I'm I'm confident of the future, and I think one of the next columns I will write will be about South Korea's possible ethnic revolution. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, they've had a uh, they've had an economic revolution. 
Mm. They've had a political revolution. They've had a cultural revolution. Mm. They've had those three. They definitely have, mm. you know, completely transforming their society from agricultural to modern, uh, from autocratic or dictatorship to democracy, from totally uncool mm -hmm. to wow, mad cool. Mm -hmm. And now the next one will be, well, to be Korean means to be ethnically Korean, like mm. Tanil Minjok. Mm. But I think that might also go through a revolution. Many people look at me and go, and it, and it might not. Mm. But then you might blink your eyes and all of a sudden there's brown Koreans and white Koreans. Right. I, I don't mean to use these terms you know, right. flippantly, but it's possible that that might happen. Um, before we go on to uh, Hwang Seok Young, mm -hmm. um, is Han a thing? Can we open up this little can of worms? So, like, in literature, there's this big thing, and I think mm -hmm. there's a thing in Sunung as well, but mm -hmm. Han as this indescribable sense of Korean sadness that permeates through the literature. I think it was Goon the poet. I'm not sure mm. if we're allowed to say his name anymore, but mm. Goon the poet said, we are born in the bosom of Han or something mm. like mm. this. Mm -hmm. Your take on Han as something in Korean literature, is it there? Is it visible? Is it self-orientalism? Mm. Does Yunso have Han? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very interested to hear what, how is that taught it now i mean it, from what i i've never focused on that in in my particular research mm -hmm. um i'm aware of it i've never seen it written in okay. in a sort of like in a at least in like a, a scholarly journal or a book about korean literature i have i've never seen it uh, i don't think it's because i th well that might be an issue of how do we relate this to to the readership mm -hmm. who's not ethnically Korean who doesn't know what Han is, you know, because mm. I have a page limit and I can't, you know, I'm talking about this book. I can't talk about Han. Um, I think it's... You know what it is, though, because yeah. it comes up in mainstream media right. quite a lot, the Han of Squid Game right. and such mm. forth. You know. I think it's, I think generally it's there, but I think it's a, it's a difficult, as a reader, mm. I think it's, I think it does get lost in other issues that are much more uh, immediate, mm. uh, you know, but that's just my research. I in a, when I focus on say Marxism or something, I'm focused on socioeconomic things mm. rather than um, a historically ethnic, or, you know, a Korean thing, Koreanness, um, which does come up, but I think in a, in different ways. Because um, you could also say like, oh, what about the Jong of the people too? You know. Mm. Um, the nunchi yeah. of the, yeah, the right, book bin. <laughs> right. So I, yeah, I think it's I think it's always there, but mm. in the background. Um, but I don't know if I've ever seen anything from research on 1970s literature that talks about Han, and I don't know if that's like I said a, a an issue of uh, just readership interest um, or if they. If scholars want to go outside of a specifically Korean, mm. I don't want to affect. I think yeah. you could call it. Um, I don't know. I'm not. Sh I'm not too sure. It's a very interesting. Question. This might be a little bit academic. I might have to. I have to ask Jacko Zwetslut about this later this evening. But I wonder if Han is compatible with the North Korean framework. I wonder if they teach Han in North Korea 
as mm. being part of the Korean identity, or whether they see it as like a a sign of false consciousness to mm. keep people down, because there is this idea that it was invented by the Japanese to keep the Korean people subjugated and suppressed, mm. and mm. Um, but we norm. So I, I wonder if Han is compatible with sort of a Marxist or a class-oriented framework or not. But Han's definitely. I always feel that Han's associated with Korean literature, wrongly or rightly. Um, is is Han still a thing in 2023? Mm-hmm. Do you um. feel do you feel Han <laughs> deep in your deep in your Yonghon Yunso? Is it like <laughs> shut up? <laughs> I don't know. What's your personal take on it? We do know the term Han, yeah. but as I said before, with the Nansogong thing, mm. like when I ask like hundred hundreds of Korean students of the Han, they would. Possibly say that all of the students would say, "Oh, the SAT thing." Okay, they would say that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think that Han. I personally think mm. that Han is not a very Korean Korean thing. Like, mm. I think that um, if we all three get through the same pain, mm. we can get Han. Mm. And as in the novel that you recommended, Nansogong uh, or Pulipcharam Nupta, I can feel the Han, but it's not a very the only Korean thing. Mm. Um, but if you ask Korean people about Han, they would give you all different answers, right? like people by people, because mm. in the school they teach you Han with a very abstract way. Mm-hmm. It's a sadness, but it has something with like traditional sadness or something mm. like that. And that is the all that we learn mm-hmm. in school. So yeah, maybe the answers would. Be what different. would your dad say if you asked him about Han? You say, Han, okay. <laughs> if you asked him if it was real, what's Han? Any idea? Could you predict or? Um, he would maybe say the Korean people's sadness coming from the same pain, something like that. It's fa- well. It's fascinating to me that Han seems to be disappearing. That it's it, it's not. Right. You know, it's, whether it was there or not, mm. um, because a lot of my and I say this with no disrespect, my international students when they hear about this, they're like, "That's that's fascinating. Mm. That's amazing. I want to learn about Han because it sounds like this magical concept, this mystical mm. thing to unlock the key of Korean people." And I'm going to ana- which is what you're not doing, but mm. I'm going to analyze Parasite through Han. Right. I'm going to watch the glory. And, and learn about the Korean people's hand, mm. you know. But it's uh, when you speak to young people, they're like, <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm not sure how far it would get you, though, as yeah. as a as a, a researcher. I think I think that it is quite limited, mm-hmm. in a sense that, uh, especially, I mean, because you have to follow along with the zeitgeist of the the, the literature or the research. You know, it, how relevant is Han going to be to somebody from? Alabama reading your material or from from northern England or yeah. something you know whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. it's it's something that yes it does maybe just have a hold in South Korea but I don't know what its place would be in an academic sense mm. I'm I'm not exactly and sure. Maybe Korean writers are not necessarily always writing for Korean audiences as much anymore. That's true. You know, right. when when if you're Hangang or something like this, and you know you've got an international readership and people all around the world, there's no point always just. She wrote a book. Called, oh no, Hangang wrote the the white book, not mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. From Han to Hwang Sok Young, mm-hmm. because before we talked, I never realized that there was such a. a, a 
Frederick Jameson Marx's class conscious approach to your work, mm. it, it wasn't evident in that file that you sent. Oh, no. I have to rewrite that. Hiding that. <laughs> um, yeah. Hwang Sok Young, uh -huh. maybe before we talk about his work, say anything about the person? Because this is a. This is a this is a, a figure that if you say in Korean society, you'll get like a look of admiration, or mm -hmm. you'll get a look of yeah, or right. something like this, right? So mm -hmm. maybe do you have anything to say about Hwang Sak Yong, the, the author? Uh, he's still, a, he's still alive. Is he? Yeah, still yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just turned eighty. Yeah. I think. Um, I would say he's a, a mover. He's he's maybe not so much anymore with his with his age, but uh, yeah. known very well. For being, for constantly moving, uh, whether he wanted to or not. I mean, he was in exile and things like that in New York for a while. Um, but yeah, he he always seemed to be at the front line of of protest or of resistance or something um, in the '70s and '80s. Um, and yeah, I think his his research or his his work uh, reflected a, a movement. Uh, never fully being settled i think it was always contesting something about the the development of south korea mm. um when he was writing and still um i think there was uh, like a, a type of anxiety i would say in his writing that mm. is something very he's unsatisfied there's a something that we have to keep doing have to keep moving have to keep doing something um and i think yeah, he's a very interesting fella. He's he's been on like TV shows recently, and he's like on comedy shows and stuff. And he's, I've not seen him on. Yeah, he's there, yeah. Really? Wow. Somewhat recently too. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, a good storyteller. Obviously, mm. on, on even at his at his age now on these shows and stuff. And it's he's a very interesting character um, as a person. I think he's also quite a character. But uh, he was obviously yeah. he was he was put in jail for going to North Korea, yeah. for sneaking into North Korea yeah. by plane and going there and being very unrepentant about mm -hmm. it, saying, that's my home. I, I, I'm i not, you know, yeah. that's that's where I'm from. Why am I in trouble for doing this? Right. I'm not going to North Korea. I'm, I'm going home. Right. That's some of the, the, the message that he was trying to get out in his autobiography, mm -hmm. um, which I read. But... Uh, yeah, that's when politics, I think, sometimes gets in the way of art or it gets in the way of right. writing or what he was doing because there's a man that wants to write about home. He wants to write about things, the land, mm -hmm. um, where he's from, mm -hmm. but then he can't. He, he's constantly in exile. Even in South Korea, he's in exile. I, mm -hmm. I think he said something like that, that he's an orphan yeah. nationally right. in that sense. He doesn't have a home, right. which is kind of a sad existential thing to go through but it probably produces great literature mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sadly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think the um that's very common in not i think not just his work but in a, a lot of works from this period too is the the concept of being unable to return back home mm -hmm. um is very much a, a thing during this time um and even if like um sampo kanengil uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with for the Sunung, uh, um, either the movie or the the book. But um, v even if you can return home, even if you can return to somewhere you're going, like it's um, it's not going to look the same. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it's really not your going anymore. Um, and that's like I said, it's like that sort of palpable thing in his that runs through his work. I think at least mm -hmm. at least from this time. 
this idea that, well, how can I not return to this place that I was? And now he did and he got in trouble for it. So because of these sort of arbitrary boundaries of nation. Um, so, yeah, that's very I think he's very well known for that. Um, that and if, if that's Han, then maybe I, I, I would agree mm. <laughs> then i would yeah then i would say that i think it was in his autobiography that i read the line uh if i were a president going there i'd be awarded with a nobel peace prize but because <laughs> i'm a writer i'm put in jail right and, and you I, I kind of felt that that mm-hmm. if, if the president went to north korea people would put him on television and say we're right. a hero he's advocating peace right this is brilliant but as a writer when he does exactly the same thing mm-hmm. he's considered a you know a terrorist or a danger to the to the nation in that sense because he did it did it under the radar he didn't yeah. do it on a national scale mm-hmm. on tv and like um uh, moon did when he crossed the 38th you know yeah it's like oh this is so great uh well how come other people can't do it <laughs> like it's you know what was it what, what are some of these books like from the time because i recently read at dusk mm-hmm. which is a 2018 mm-hmm. novel um well that's the english one i don't know when the the original korean but that was mm-hmm given to me by M, who we talked oh, okay. about earlier. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She came up and she said, Professor, take this book. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. And I, I loved it. And that was all about shanty towns yeah. and uh, really people live, living not just below the poverty line, but living in a completely different world almost, mm-hmm. different values and different aesthetics. What was his 70s writing? Why did you choose Chulja, um, a tape measure, mm-hmm. and the neighbor, Otton Lutsaram, you, you you, uh, ah, yeah. okay, when you do it, Mikun Reishauer. The Romanization is terrible. I was thinking, I like, Lut. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I, sorry, I chose the Mikun Reishauer system because yeah. for me it's easier to read. Uh, yeah, but when you have Yu Tsaram, it's, yeah. Lut Tsaram, yeah. Um, I chose these works because uh, they, well, they fit into my research and what I was aiming for. But, uh, I, okay, so Judita, the the tape measure, is about. Um, a, a neighborly uh, s- argument that turns into something uh, that the law has to get involved. Um, and it's over w- what essentially turns out to be like, I think it's like 15 or 18, something like that, centimeters of land between the neighbors. And it's because of uh, the sort of awning of one neighbor hangs over the property of the other neighbor. Mm. And it's literally, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I think in those times, I can't remember the name of the measurement, but it's like basically your hand mm-hmm. measurement. It's like two of those, something like that. It's a yeah. ridiculous amount of space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it, it turns into this huge thing about property and the, you know, uh, private property versus public. And uh, when these disputes come into, you know, when they're written in a contract, mm-hmm. um, how do we deal with these things? And now... Um, well, it's written in my contract, so I have these rights. These are my private rights. And uh, and then when does that escalate to be, you know, to have to get the law involved and the policemen have to come and enforce this contract that was sort of arbitrary, for, you know. Mm. Um, and, it yeah, it leads to – it's just this huge, you know, this mountain out of a molehill kind of thing that um, really emphasizes, like, okay, we're building a lot uh, in in – the city area and we want these people to be happy because they have private property and blah, blah, blah. Um, and yet because we're human, because we have these instinctual things about this is mine, that's yours. Mm. Um, it's, 
this such a minuscule amount of land becomes this huge thing where this guy ends up in jail because he doesn't want to secede. Uh, so it's uh, sorry for the spoilers, but um, yeah, it's a it's a nice uh, detail about that sort of mm. part of society. And I believe that story was 71, 72. Um, so, yeah, right at the beginning of the 70s, very economic boom. We're making money. People are buying houses. And it's not just a part, uh, a pot to, it's like a house, you know, mm-hmm. so it's whatever. Um, yeah. So that was that story. Um, and then the other one, Yutsaram, also about, uh, that one actually deals with um, blood donations. And um, the this guy is a Vietnam veteran, uh, very much like Hong Sok Young, and comes back and he's he comes back to Seoul with no job, no money, whatever. Um, his body has been used in a, the military complex and um, comes back and he uh, lives in a basically a, um, a shelter, homeless shelter, where they're, uh, he says, like, they're packed in in cages like dogs. Um, and one of the uh, fellow homeless men um, says to him, why don't you donate blood? They pay money. And mm-hmm. so he gets sort of addicted to this. And then he ends up finding a um, a rich guy, not surprisingly, who, when he donates blood, he goes to his house and they're lying supine on their backs. And they're, one is it, the blood is going out from him into the machine, into the old guy. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a sort of like really um, affective like sort of moment. And it's really uh, just a strong imagery of like this lifeblood is being sucked. It's vampiric. It's, Mm. you know, this old guy is, he's at death's door almost, but yet he has so much money that he can pay for these people to come into his home and he feeds them, gives them like a, a, almost like a buffet, like when you're fattening a pig before the slaughter. Uh, And yeah, and that's, um, that's the sort of story. And he sort of gets addicted to that. And um, he becomes so, uh, you know, drained literally of his blood and, and his, you know, the ownership of his body, this sovereignty that he might have had. Now he doesn't really have a trace of it. And he ends up murdering a stranger on the street because he's so out of his mind uh, with with maybe Han. Maybe, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's where that comes in again. Now, Bob, Young, like he, Bob Young, I yeah, think, is, yeah. is the Korean one, isn't it? Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot, and there's other aspects of like this sort of... Um, loss of uh sexual desire like he becomes emasculated kind of castrated kind of thing um and he you know so there's the phallic imagery of the knife and everything like that but uh in general yeah it's it's this sort of the sucking lifeblood out of the the poor individuals Mm. to feed the those on the on the other end of the spectrum Especially the, the Vietnam veterans as yeah. well or something. That's a, a nice added twist to it. Mm-hmm. It's a nice semi-autobiographical twist, right. I, I think, from Hwang Sok Young because I think these conversations tie into that idea about the miracle of the Han River and everything's great. And yeah. we, we talked about the girls have to go into the factories, but yep. the men had to go into the military. Mm-hmm. And the men had to go to Vietnam mm-hmm. and to all of these things for mm-hmm. the success to happen. Yeah, it's uh, and then you have stories like John Il with the, the, the dormitories mm. and the horrible conditions that they had to go through and things like that. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's around this, the, these things are in the history. It's just not 
really talked about as much. John Teal is the, uh, I believe he was 19 at the time. In mm. 1970, he ran down uh, where he's now the Tungachan, mm-hmm. ran down the street saying, we are not machines. He mm. self-immolated, put, set himself on fire mm-hmm. and cried, we are not machines in order to bring better working conditions for the people in the factory. Mm-hmm. I took some of my students to go and see his statue there. Right. It's, it's quite moving to go and see it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it still took a long time for those works. Oh, yeah. For, for those improvements in labor rights and things like that yeah. to come. It took a very long time. Mm-hmm. By the way, I think that um, the Yutsaram putting the, sucking out the live blood mm. is the like genius allegory thing. Mm-hmm. Because in Korea, there is a phrase that, hyolse, mm-hmm. which means like a text which is valuable as our blood. Mm. Because there are like high status people who gets our um, texts to their money, right? Mm-hmm. And um, maybe poor people or like lower class people would feel as if their bloods are sucking out yeah. because mm-hmm. of the rich people. Mm-hmm. And we also say pigatendon in our mm-hmm. daily lives, mm-hmm. which is like the money as valuable as our blood. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that during that time, the novel times, I think that that would felt in the heart more desperately. So I think that it's a genius thing. Mm-hmm. Do you? I love those insights. Do you have any thoughts on Huang Sok Yong in general? Like as a writer, mm. you, not, you don't know much about him, or I'm not very proud to say this, but I have like not really enough mm. knowledge for him. Mm. I'm just curious, like if we were to say Korean authors, mm. like Kenyang, Tiamingu, Takka. So, so, who would who would your mind immediately go to? Like, if an international friend asked you, who are some Korean authors? So oh. you wouldn't say Hwang Sak Yong, right? Yeah. But that's fine because maybe I would. I'm glad you're <laughs> asking that because yeah. I'm very but who curious. Who would you too. would you say anything? If, I don't know. Um, maybe I don't know if it is because of the time era we are talking, but mm. the the person pops up in my mind is maybe Lee Sang. Mm-hmm. 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 Maybe he just um, embodied the paralyzing minds of the desperate, struggling era mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. Now, I I can't remember. I, I've read his sang in it. I find it very his work very out there, mm-hmm. very modern, very mm-hmm. little structure. I remember one of my students at the time, her name was Taylor Woody uh, from Wellesley College, and she was like, Professor, you've got to read Dicte. I don't mm. even know if I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing it right. Mm-hmm. Who wrote Dicte? Uh, Teresa Hakyong Ta. Yeah, she was like, you've got to read Dicte. Mm-hmm. And so she kept going on at me, have you read Dicte yet? And mm-hmm. I, on my Insta, mm-hmm. I was like, no. So I finally read it, and I was like, what the bloody hell is yeah. this? You know, like, Are you familiar with Dicte? Not really. Okay. Uh, is it, okay. I wonder if just international people like it more than Korean people because it's written. It's just. I'm not even sure if it's a not. It's not a novel, is it? Is it? <laughs> uh, it's, it's very hard to describe. Dictate. It it, it's like a journal. It's like somebody's mm-hmm. journal of aphorisms and practicing French, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly mm-hmm. now, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Did you? You can't put dictate into this. No, I think yeah, dictate. I I would consider that more. Asian American literature. Okay. Um, okay. Even though obviously she's Korean, uh, I think eth- yeah, ethnically Korean, but I think she's born and raised in she the states. Passed away, didn't she? Yeah, she was, yeah. had a horrible death. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, in 1980, um, when she was this, I think the book came out like two weeks before 
and then she was murdered um, in New York City. Um, yeah, she, fascinating book uh, that involves, uh, it's this sort of stream of consciousness, but also French lessons. And mm-hmm. But then there's a diagram of, uh, there's a lot of hunta in it too, and there's a, there's a diagram of um, the sort of, uh, what's the word? Like, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, uh, like a diagram of the body mm-hmm. and where, like, specific acupuncture points, mm-hmm. um, like, and it's, it's just randomly there on the page, and you you have to sort of interpret it and where does it fit with this nar- half narrative kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but also talks about um, Korean liberation and the um, what's the word, samil um, dong mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So it's a very mixture, uh, very much a mixture of internationalism and American stuff mixed with Korean traditional thinking yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's difficult to describe, but I do recommend it. Yeah, it's, it's completely out there. And I think international students really like it. If you ever mm-hmm. get somebody, yeah. you know, what should I read? Dictate is, is yeah. one that you pick it up and you definitely remember it. Yeah. It's something that you'll love it or you'll hate it right. or... But it's it's very hard not to have an opinion yeah. on this book. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember reading it uh, in undergrad and being like, "What the hell is this? I don't understand this." Because mm. it's sometimes there's a just a bunch of dates, June thirtieth, nineteen seventy four, or something, and you're like, "Okay," <laughs> yeah. and then next page, and it's the diagram of like the acu- <laughs> acupuncture stuff. Um, but then I reread it actually in the last couple of years, and I. Um, found it amazing and mm. I was like oh I'm so glad I got to read this again um, you, you mentioned uh, like the acupuncture points on the body mm-hmm. one of my uh, one of my friends said to me the other day he wants to be a hanisa <laughs> he wants to be a, a honey one doctor I, I'm not sure how to say this like mm. an alternative medicine oriental medicine doctor I'm not mm. sure what the correct term is but mm. hanisa I think right. is the Korean term he wants to be one of those and I was like wow people People still do that. And uh, when my son yeah. had indigestion the other day, first they rub really right. hard the space in between your thumb and forefinger. Yeah. And it really hurts. Yeah. And some people, you can press as hard as you can. And they just look at you and go, what? Yeah. It doesn't make them flinch at all. Yeah. And then if it really continues, they'll take your blood. Mm-hmm. They'll like prick your blood mm-hmm. and things like this. Uh, uh, honey one still a thing do, when you talk to your friends about the dwarf and things like that do you ever tell your friends should we go to a honey one have you have you, was it <laughs> some like doom yeah, or things right. like that is that still a thing amongst young people honey ones um, honey one is not really considered as an old thing okay is it still a thing mm. okay because right. I heard that when you go to honey one they just um, um, do not really pick a part of body that you are hurting mm. and they just look for the reason why you are feeling pain in specific area so mm. um, they just counsel you for an hour mm. and they just look through your body with like heart pulse or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. yeah and even i went to honey one for like three or four times mm-hmm. yeah it's very common nowadays even wow yeah I, that's that's still very interesting to me and what i heard is they one of the first things they do besides the pulse thing is they also check your tongue yeah, yeah, yeah. To see, like, that's one of the first checks. Did they check your I child's? I have been to a honey one in a while. Did they check tongues? Okay. Yeah. 
like there's there's a sort of that's like one of the signs okay of and if they don't check it then you, that's not a good honey it's not song. a good honey like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, that's sort of like the the typical pra- that's what I've heard everybody in my family they're always brushing their tongue you can hear right. them they're going to brush their teeth they're just gagging and then I told them I, d- I don't know why I told them this do you know that if you squeeze the thumb of your left hand if you squeeze your thumb with your left hand while you do that it cancels your gag reflex so if you do that and then brush your tongue you you won't gag and so i told them that and then all that sound that was coming just stopped oh there you go you can cancel you it's very useful if you if you interested or something like that but yeah, <laughs> for other purposes yeah. <laughs> uh, you yeah. cancel your gag reflex by squeezing your left thumb go home with your toothbrush and yeah and go and test it but that's wow. that one that's it I never heard that either. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm interested. Yeah, the the honey one thing, and just in general, like this sort of traditional aspect of, you know, how much, I mean, we can talk about this later or whatever. But the how much is do you think that traditional aspect of your life now part of it? I mean. Dolchanti or like these very mm-hmm. sort of I'm interested in that idea of like the you know Koreanness of things you know like because we have K-pop and K-dramas and things but like the K obviously is Korea um, South Korean right so um, but so the the Korean things that are there mm. is there like an awareness or a consciousness of that because that's really Korean Dolchanti is really Korean right too. Mm-hmm. right. Do you so, have any thoughts yeah. on that? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, we do have doljanchis or like jesa right. in like traditional days, right. the ceremonies. But nowadays, that kind of like heavily traditional things are diminishing in a way. Mm-hmm. Because like on national holidays of Korea, people, most of the people would go on vacation or something. Yeah, right. Japan. Because yeah. the traffic is so bad here that they, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I see lots of people doing um, uh, doljanties and so doljanti is one year, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also the hundred day one people right. do. Yeah, I see more and more people doing those at home. Right, mm. and they'll rent the stuff. They'll just go onto whatever it is, Tangan or, or yep. whatever G Market, mm-hmm. and they get sent a thing, and they just put it up on their wall. Yep. And they sit there, they take the photos and they send it all back. And then you don't need to rent this big space and have yeah. everybody come mm. because everybody's busy. So I think some people do it, but the 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 method of doing it is changing. Yeah. I'll tell you one very quick story about Adoljanti for my son, Edward, when he was born. Um, and Adoljanti in Korea... People will lay up. Do you know what you picked at your dollar dainty? Yes, I picked money. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> your parents must have been very happy, <laughs> proud of you. Uh, because they'll lay out different things like the gavel and the right. pencil and money mm-hmm. and the string. And the st- they all represent different things in yeah. your life. So the mm-hmm. string will represent long life. My brother sent over James Hetfield's pick, for who's the lead nice. guitarist. Uh, not lead guitarist, rhythm guitarist of Metallica. Yep. He went to a concert. He was out there caught the pick uh-huh. loved Metallica and I listened to Metallica growing up yeah. sent it over we put them all down and my, my wife was like if he picks if he chooses that pick no I'm gonna <laughs> I'm so angry you know he's gonna pick money yeah. and Edward was just like yes <laughs> and I'm just standing there yeah. celebrating yeah. and just my wife and her family just looking at me barbarian but it'd be yeah. interesting how they fit into the new career. You're right, because yeah. that's something that we don't do. We don't do those things, but they do do them here. The ancestor worship, the chesa, the chale. Right. Mm. 
Yeah, the the chase, yeah, chase is still important, I think, which is, and to me, and this is one of the things that, and I hope that it's not sort of Orientalist thinking, but in a, in a way, as an American, to see these sorts of things is is so interesting to me because in in the states we just really don't have these things, mm-hmm. unless you're from. Uh, an ethnically or you know different place mm-hmm. um if you're mexican american maybe or whatever you have that sort of history but typical whatever people um uh, we did we just don't mm-hmm. you know you have um the sort of what is it um like easter christmas catholics you know that kind of thing or whatever um but we don't have anything that represents this sort of traditional type of thing and maybe it's because we're so mixed ethnically or tradi- whatever traditionally um and then they just sort of fade away as things get mixed um or it's because we're a relatively new place like as a nation i don't know um it's a mixture of every- it's a mixture of everything so that's mm. i'm that's why i'm interested in what you were saying because as as a foreigner I, it's very interesting that these traditions are continuing mm. and i think that's very cool and i think that's very that's just my opinion, but um, I'm not sure yeah. how much Chesa and Chale, the ancestor worship, is continuing. I, I think for yeah. most people, it's uh, well on the way out. Yeah. I think if I had a class of thirty Korean students, I would say somewhere between five and ten would do it. Mm. That would I don't know about you. Know, would, do you think many people do it now? Not really. Like we do have the sense of our um, ancestors, mm. but we do not really practice that in daily life or. Right. The chesa thing feels like a very conservative thing mm. to me because mm. it's too traditional. Yeah, mm. I think there's a gender thing going on as well. Yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, because like most of the women would work for the chesa. Yeah, right. And most of right. the men would just do the ceremony thing. Yeah, yeah. Drunk. They, yeah. they would do the performance, but mm. not really preparing, doing things for. Yeah, that's that's interesting how these things turn out, especially with the introduction of. Or they, they, I should say, I should say, like sort of insertion of capitalistic practices mm. to doldanti. Mm. Oh, now I, there's a market for renting these things. You mm-hmm. know, somebody's mm-hmm. capitalizing on that yeah. and making a lot of money um, on this sort of traditional thing. And it's, it's, and that's just the, the way things are now. Um, you know, when renting you, hanbok or something. Mm. Yeah, I mean, who wears a hanbok anymore? Right, when, right. when do you do this? And right. I know if I take photos of our kids in handbooks or something like that, it just looks amazing. Like, yeah. Yes. And I think that there's this, I'm going to do a podcast on this in the future, but so many young Koreans want to tell Joseon. Mm. They want to just leave Joseon. Mm-hmm. And then so many international people are like, I want to go to Korea. Right, right. You've got this this huge, and they all want to go and come to different places because mm. of different reasons. And yeah, that, that fascinates me. Yeah. When you read all of these uh, novels and, and, and you selected them, mm-hmm. short stories from the 70s, mm-hmm. are there things in there that have gone missing today? So we're talking about mm-hmm. Doljenchi and that's mm-hmm. passing out, but mm-hmm. Honey Ones are still there and mm-hmm. they've survived, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, from these novels, do you read stuff and you can, that could happen today or what do you read things and go well th- that's really different that's mm-hmm. really old i think the the straight answer for that would be um i'm i've just been if you hopefully you can tell i'm very interested in space mm. uh mm. and so one of the things that i can at least somehow connect with is when 
you know, Dongdaemun or something or Dongno is written in these texts, I can actually go to that place or go to that <laughs> Dong, that neighborhood, and see what it's like now. Because chances are it's just vastly different, um, unless you go to the very old parts of Seoul, but um, even there. Uh, so I would say just everything's different. Most of it is. You know, it's, it's just I can't go. Maybe if somebody, maybe if some place or some story mentioned uh, Gyeongbokgung, but even that, that's been different. I mean, that was, you know, when did the governor general uh, building get taken down? 1997? Something like something that. Like that. Kim Young-sam, Kim Dae-jun, yeah. transition time. So yeah. even Gyeongbokgung is different, you yeah. know, from whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, I I think just everything would be different. I don't know if there's specific things that I can see currently. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. We'll come on to space. Yeah. Just before we do that, in terms of the, the writers, because we, we haven't mentioned them all, but um, yeah. say like, uh, I, I've only got them written here in English, which is terrible of me. So, Cho In-hun. Che In-hun. Oh, thank you. These are male. Yes. So I was waiting for this. Part. No, this is not a criticism. <laughs> yeah, but no. I think now, when you think about Korean literature, mm-hmm. a lot of it to me seems feminist in nature, and mm-hmm. I think that reflects how society is changing and how people's desires are changing. The Korean dramas now, a lot of them are written by female writers, mm-hmm. and that's changing. Anything on like the identity? Were there female writers at the time? Was it harder to write them, or they weren't doing the class thing as well as the men? Or mm. because you know, if you're choosing a selection of writers now, you have to have a balance and identity and rah rah rah. Mm. Mm. Uh, I actually did have, and I hope to do this sometime when I actually get to read her longer works. Uh, Park Won Seo uh, was a writer that I have worked with in the past, and I she. The I I couldn't get what I wanted for my research out of uh, Namo out of the Naked Tree, so I had to mm. unfortunately cut it. But that's a good um, thing to do, by the but, way. Though. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I will say that current uh, research is uh, going on about this particular time and the male dominant uh, sense of the the literature at this mm. d- in the especially the late seventies with the Minjung movement and things like that where it became so masculine mm-hmm. um and now a lot of people are looking back and saying was this really liberation like was this really liberation for the the workers what about the women there mm-hmm. weren't a lot of women involved mm-hmm. um or at least i mean the women were writing but a lot of people weren't reading their stuff mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. how do we how do we understand that um yeah so i i will hopefully end up working with at least one uh female writer but i think uh in pak Won-so's case her much of her work that i really enjoy um is at least in part autobiographical where um and i think that's her strength and i think that's how she resonated with a lot of people i think mm-hmm. she was arguably if then if not now still one of the most popular female yeah. writers towering um, figure, isn't she? of yeah. in south korea uh and yet when she's really only considered as a female writer of the 1970s and eight, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's not, she's not a writer. Mm-hmm. She's a female writer. And so I think the, the research now that's being done uh, is questioning that and why, you know, with, especially with feminism and things like that. Um, how can we approach this differently? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we look at her work 
because much of it is yes is gender focused um uh, because it is a lot of it is autobiographical but it that's not it right that's not where it stops it's mm. much more than that mm. um she has a lot of things to say um about gender role specifically uh the 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 place of the woman in say the household that's not every woman's dream you know like mm-hmm. what do we do how can mm-hmm. we get out of that that restrictive role and be in the workforce or be whatever um that's not a factory worker you yeah. know it's it, those types of issues are addressed and i'm hoping to get into her work more but um. in um he who wrote um mm-hmm. making of the minjung minjung mandul yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. it's fascinating really good book i'm sure you yeah, must have read uh-huh, that uh-huh. but in that she calls uh she mentions i believe it's in that book she talks about the women being the lowest of the lows uh-huh. so you know there's all these different stratas of society but women were always at the bottom mm-hmm. of that in the way she saw this uh, popular uprising movement and mm-hmm. i'm not sure if this is the correct way to see it but sometimes when i go through my lectures and i talk about concepts of like queer blindness and mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like this maybe gender blindness that there were gender issues and there were lgbt issues and all these things going mm-hmm. on in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s but overarching above all of those things there was the need for modernization or the need for mm. democratization there was a national goal that sort of superseded every other problem and now those things have been solved to a certain extent now mm. they've been achieved it's like okay now we can do that right now we can do that i mean what's what's this sounds this is not the way i'm saying it should be this is one of the ways i i try to understand what was going on in the past that it's now we've solved it. what what's the good of having gender equality if we're living in poverty mm-hmm. what's the good of having gay rights if we're living under a dictator right. that kind of thing so you get the groundwork laid first and now as we can see in korean society mm-hmm. those things are certainly not perfect but they mm-hmm. they're making progress i would say right yeah it's interesting how i think that it, it is a specifically south korean problem in its own way but i mm-hmm. think that especially with more say recent developments of nations in the last say 50 60 70 years especially post world war 2 right the sort of cold war era where we have a bunch of new nations uh and so okay we develop the nation as a whole first we put this guy in charge and whatever uh and then only once these things are set up now we can approach you know sort of the the secondary issues of gender rights or you know uh, et cetera. Et cetera. it's very interesting approach right like that keeps happening, and it's like, can you do it the other way around? Yeah, is it or, a or right is is that because is that a, just a hegemonic view of you know the West or specifically the U.S. This is how you do it because it worked in these other countries, as in we gave them money to do so this mm. way. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there, it brings up a lot of issues. If you believe, if you take something like. Uh, material values and then post-material values or Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Mm -hmm. I know this will Mm -hmm. be setting off alarm bells for some, but, you know, people care about their physical well-being first. And Mm -hmm. once they have a job and once they have have Mm -hmm. security, then they'll think, well, now I want equality and now I want fairness. And and these ideas often, certainly in South Korea, they've come from the elite universities first, where people have the economic background and psychological your you <laughs> to mm-hmm. explore these things because mm-hmm. if you're working in a factory you haven't got the time or the, the well-being to mm-hmm. to focus on these things all the time and mm-hmm. if you consider that it's like well if you want people to be equal you've got to make them rich first mm-hmm. 
And that's a weird way to approach things, yeah, you know. Right. Did you read I'm jumping here, but did you read The Whale? No, actually, uh I'm just joined being part of like a book club for the Royal Society of Asia. Royal uh, you'll get in trouble if you don't yeah. say that right. Sorry. The Sorry. Royal Asiatic Sorry. Society. Uh, <laughs> and the book meeting next time is The Whale. Yeah. So I will be reading that uh this month. Um, it, yeah. It's a good book. It's a good book club. Okay. The Royal Asiatics. Yeah, I I, I went to the last one and it was it was very good. So. Yeah. The first time I gave a lecture for the Royal Asiatic Society, I stood mm-hmm. there and uh, there were there were British ambassadors there. <laughs> there Brother Anthony and I said, "Well, thank you for inviting me to the uh-huh. Royal Asia Society." And Brother Anthony just went <coughs> Asiatic, and I went, "Oh my god!" It was like the first sentence I Here said. Here come the tomatoes. Yeah, Should we talk about space? Sure. Um, not Uju, Hajiman Darren space. Mm-hmm. A lot of your work focus on on these four spaces. Yes. So you have all this literature uh-huh. talking about space. Can you perhaps like, and un- 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 this is a very podcast word. Can you unpack space for us? Can I unpack this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I became interested in the the spatial term or the spatial argument uh, after reading uh, a, a book the the New Asian City uh, by uh, Jenny Kim Watson. Um, which I definitely recommend. Um, and she does a comparative study of Cold War literature um, of Taiwan or of Taipei, of Seoul and Singapore um, and in sort of a developmental ist way. Um, and she talks about space and how we can uh, reconsider or, or think about how spatial, how space and the creation of spaces in a Cold War environment in a in a developing nation, how those can matter in how we view the literature, um, and how they her specific argument is how do these new spaces create a specific type of text? Um, how do these conditions mm. inform uh, how we write about them? And so I became very interested in that argument, um, and that's sort of I'm use that as a springboard to investigate just these South Korean specific. Places. The medium is the message. Yeah. Essentially, isn't it? More how, or less, how, yeah. how does that specific space create that? Mm-hmm. How does that form create that content? Yeah. So tell us about Korean space. Yeah. So uh, I found the Park Tong hee period to be just the perfect mixture of uh, the developmental the industrial, the the economic, all these things were being created at the same time. And um, my argument is, how, or my questioning is, how did individuals, in albeit in a fictional way, navigate the creation of these spaces and the um, how did they adjust to them? How did they did they were they like the dwarf and they had to meet their demise, or did they grow exponentially in wealth? Uh, because of these these creations, so um, I chose these specific four four spaces um, for their what I hope is a very South Korean way, um, but also can be seen in a on a global scale. So I think I try to do both. Um, that was actually one of the criticisms from my committee. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> why is this specifically South Korean? And I and I want to engage with that specifically. Um, yeah. So, tell me about the space 
of the psyche. So how yeah. do, it, you, you mentioned how do individuals navigate uh, uh-huh. this new space. So uh-huh. I'll try to frame this question in two ways. First, I think that South Korea has transformed so rapidly and dramatically that some people will look around the country today and go, what is this place? They don't quite recognize it. Mm-hmm. it it's been such a transformation that it's very hard, maybe even in evolutionary terms, for them to adapt to this new environment where everything is contactless and wireless and without human, it's untacked is the word that they use. Um, and also alongside this, I, I, I've said a couple of times, I'm not sure if it's me being uh, dramatic, but when did Korean people become individualistic? When did Korean people start saying I Mm. rather than or just not using pronouns when did this kind of individualism come mm. to Korea that we're so used to because I've I've suggested at times maybe it's about 10 years old 15 years old mm. and I'm not trying to suggest that there were no individuals before that mm. but where people said no I want to eat this and so I'm going to eat that and to the hell with all the rest of you you know right. I don't care about you right how is individuals navigating this and the the psyche or the concept of individualism is that is that present in these novels or in space or um yeah that's an interesting question because uh i believe all of the works that i chose are not in first person i think they were all in third person um that's quite weird isn't except it? for the dwarf i think some stories are first person and i might be mistaken but i think that's the case um but yeah you all i mean you still hear Uri Nara, like it's mm-hmm. or whatever um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's that's a very interesting aspect. And I think what I tried to do with the space of the psyche, which is arguably uh, or not arguably my most like the most experimental chapter that I'm trying to focus on, because um, I, I wanted to, you know, you have all these things happening outside the outside the individual. You have the development of companies and you have chaebol and you have um life becomes very transactional Mm -hmm. i go to this place i pay a certain amount you know and i get this service or this product or um the the novel uh kuboshi that um i chose che inhun um he it's in a sense it's uh and i don't mean this in a very like downgrading way but it's 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 Joycean. It's very much like Ulysses mm. um, and the sort of meanderings of a, an individual who goes through these transactions and sees pretty girls on the bus. And he go, he, he's a writer. He goes into companies and he writes a story for them. He gets money in exchange. And then, but what's interesting is that these, all these relationships are like so clearly surface level that I was more interested about, okay, what happens in, in here, in the brain, mm-hmm. after these transactions. Mm-hmm. How does he think about them? He sees this pretty girl on the bus. He doesn't go and talk to her. He just scolds himself for not doing it after she gets off on the, you know. And it's like these sorts of things. I wanted to go inside because so many things were happening outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have so much development, so much n- noise uh, going on, uh, which, thank you, I might use that in the future. <laughs> um, but you, like, is it, just as noisy in the inside Mm. um and in this book it very much is there's so much going on in his head now um and i think before this in at least in the works that i've read we never really had this this sort of very very like 
intro, like introspective psychological uh, movement, except for the same book by uh, Pak Taewon, which is this is like a arguably a rewriting of that book mm-hmm. um, from 1930 something. Um, but except for that one that I've read and maybe Isang uh, Wings, mm-hmm. um, you don't really have a lot of that introspection. Like at the end of the day, how does an individual think mm-hmm. about what he or she did during that day? Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm interested in is like the, the private yeah. internal thoughts. And I wanted to make that a space because I think we're, it, it can be created, you know, especially with um, everything is so social now. Everything is very much in, engaged with Uri and mm-hmm. like, what are we doing as a society? You mentioned like people staring at you outside. Everybody's very, it's all very invasive. But what about me about me? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I act at the end of the day with, mm-hmm. when I'm alone with my thoughts? Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to see what would happen if I approached it that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, and I think this, I recommend this text to anybody. Um, unfortunately, uh, the translation when I read it uh, is rocky. Um, I that, don't. That's a good word. To yeah. Describe that, There's yeah. a lot of like random, uh, and I'm not trying to bash the translator, whoever they are, but like the, it's very, yeah, it's very rocky. There's mm. some words that are missing or like things that are spelled wrong or something. It's like this was done very hastily or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, well, I, I'll just ask one thing. Mm-hmm. No, I'll just mention one thing is, I've been watching a lot of K-dramas recently to prepare for my next Hallyu course on that. <laughs> and also because my mum's been over and she likes watching <laughs> dramas. And I've always noticed this in Korean dramas and Korean movies, but particularly the dramas, there's lots and lot. There's lots and lots of long shots of people's faces where mm. nothing is said. Mm. When no, and it's almost like a music video and you've got the OST playing and things mm. like this. But seriously, they're going on for like two minutes and nothing's being said and you're just looking at the faces. And I think you're meant to interpret what people are feeling. You're meant to use your nunchi. It's all mm. meant to be played out. Nothing's being said, but everything is being spoken. Right. So I think there's this thing that goes on. I've, I've also nearly, this weekend I read um, Shogun by James Clavell. It's the first time I've read right. it. It's an amazing book. And um, in this book, which is about Blackthorn going to Japan in, in the 16th century, mm. you know, into that society, you have these Japanese people. They'll have this conversation, but they'll say some words, but then the rest is said in their head. Mm. but not said out loud because you've got to save face and not say those things out loud. And there's the reply. And Mm. these things are said in their head, but not said out loud. And it's this fascinating, here's the outside conversation and here's the inside conversation going on. And Mm. I was reading this going, this is a fascinating literary technique because sometimes they're replying across the different forms and things like this. Uh Um, I also like asking my students, what's the inside of your head like? Mm You know, is it noisy? And they're like, <laughs> Professor, the voices won't shut up. <laughs> they're like, what voices are they? Yeah. And they're like, I've got 10. And yeah. some people are like, it's Before we come to voices, mm-hmm. uh, Yunso, is there a change from like, I mentioned that South Korea is becoming more individual. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's gone from an Uri society to a Na society or mm-hmm. something. Like, do you have any thoughts on, no, we're still the Uri people or no, we're individualism or how is that for young people? Um, I think that being an individual self was been there since a long time ago. But mm. I think that the social media played a role in 
people um, expressing themselves like very loudly on online mm-hmm. because like um, maybe like Chain Hun's um, 소설가 구보시의 일일 mm. it's a mm. it was a novel but if he just wrote that on Instagram which was not possible that time mm. but let's say he did that like mm-hmm. in these days mm. it would have been more popular and more people would seen it and other people would comment down on it and talk about things mm-hmm. but by that time the book wasn't the media that people would interact with mm. like at the same time right mm-hmm. so um i think that the being self the self 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 thing being noisy nowadays mm. is because of the media mm-hmm. i guess mm. yeah i agree with that medium sure. is the message <laughs> yes we're, we're in the century of the self and the temple of the self and me 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 and i i i mm. yeah. right which is the fascinating idea the internet was meant to give us other people mm. but it just gave us us right yeah. it just gave just, us me just back just up myself kept, right yeah mm. yeah this is what i like this is what i do this it, remember i get in so much trouble for remembering the past but when you had to watch tv and it was stuff that you didn't want to watch <laughs> right because your parents were watching it or there was right. nothing on and you just had right. to watch it and you right. the radio was on but the, you don't want to listen to it but you had to listen to it and mm. wait mm-hmm. you never do that anymore Right. Mm-hmm. You only watch what you want to watch. You only listen to what you want to listen to. See what you want to see. Yeah. So maybe that is giving rise to it. Yeah. It's just all this on-demand. What I like immediacy, right? Like the you can't. Maybe this is, goes back to the engagement with uh, your life. Maybe at the company or something is so noisy that when you get on the subway, it's like mm-hmm. I just turn it off. Yeah. yeah. And I just watch because this is the only time. I can have for myself, even if you're, you know, sort of ironically in a crowd of people, you know, everybody's alone and it's Mm. like that sort of old cliche. But um, yeah, maybe that's something to do with Mm, it, too. There was a book written by Julian Jaynes in the 1960s. It's called something like The Discovery of the Bicenceneral Mind. It's a weird Mm. book, but it's close to the title. And in that he posits when people first started developing an internal monologue they weren't able to the voice inside their head they weren't able to recognize it as their own voice and they thought it was the voice of god mm. and so when you get uh, god talking to abraham go and sacrifice uh-huh. your son when you get god god talking to people that voice is going yes i will do that mm. it was actually just their own voice right. but it was in this it's the development of monkeys essentially becoming conscious mm. and that voice coming and they weren't able to distinguish between no that's actually my voice or that's mm. actually a voice inside my head mm-hmm. which is a fascinating thing that maybe yeah. that voice hasn't mm. always been there mm. maybe that voice is a is is a develop it's an evolutionary thing mm. or it, it's something like that mm. how many voices do you have inside your head Tell right me. Oh, it's God. a serious question yeah. by the way Uh, I I think I like to think it's one. <laughs> it just talks a lot. Uh, I don't I don't I don't know if there's any. Does it talk nicely? No. <laughs> Typically, no. It's keep telling me to keep working, uh, not be so lazy. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's there, and I think it's. I think that's a maybe a different discussion about the the training or something of your of your the space of the psyche to be able to control the noise and to hone it um and maybe that's why we have the art that we do or the 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 novels that we do or whatever um that people are taking this voice and very specifically training it to do this particular thing um 
And maybe that's why it resonates with people yeah. is because, oh, I have that voice, but it's not quite there yet. But I can see where you're getting it from. Uh, but that's who knows. Traditionally, or at least in Buddhism, the idea was to quieten the monkey mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was to stop it chattering all the time and to, uh, to just sit and drink from the empty cup and look at the rock grow. And you can't drink from an empty cup and right. you can't watch a rock grow. But that was right. the kind of the, the Buddhist approach to these things, to silence everything by, mm-hmm. by doing those. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's how I did it, but the, like said before, <laughs> the inside of my head is just quiet. There's nothing. It, it, oh, that's that's what it sounds like in there. This is the wind is coming in. Yeah, I'm just yeah. an NPC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just a, I'm just an NPC. Yeah. There's, there's, the weird thing is I have far too many thoughts, but mm. uh, there's there's nothing in there going. Mm. Um, like, what do you think about the rural urban space? So just mm-hmm. while while we're on this, like this mass urbanization, mm. Korea was an agricultural society. Gangnam was a field, and all mm-hmm. of these things. And and the literature you're researching is written during those transformative times when Mm -hmm. Korea goes from being farm and rice to something completely different. Mm -hmm. How does that physical space change? What do you find about that? Yeah, uh, I'm very much interested in the the concepts of the centripetal and the centrifugal uh, about the... Seoul became essentially... I mean, it looks like it now, like a... I think people say Seoul is like, or Seoul and Gyeonggi-do are like the the egg and the yolk, mm. like you know how it's that shape. But it, it's it's funny because it looks like that and it performs in the same function. Mm. Um, and I'm very interested in the reach of Seoul, not only what it is or like the physical, the physicality of it, but the the ideology that goes along with urbanization is spreading outwards um, along with the law and along with people and all these things and at the same time you have the if I'm remembering correctly, centripetal going inward back into Seoul because now people live in uh, Gyeonggi-do and Suwon and whatever and yet they work in Seoul and they have to come back here and then they go back home and then they keep you know um, so it's very like back and forth where instead of just building up other cities outside of Seoul, we just expand Seoul Mm. into the rest of South Korea almost. And like between Seoul and Busan, it's just those two things. (laughs) Um, Maybe Daegu or whatever. But uh, yeah, I I became interested in in the rural and and the urban because like I said before, this ideological difference, this, um, this fervent attitude to push Seoul or to push South Korea Freudian slip there, uh, as far as we could go and what the hell just leaves stuff behind. Mm. Like we need to progress. Mm. And if you don't like it, then, well, this is where the same Undong came in. Here's the tools to do it yourself. Then, uh, build your own roads and we'll kind of, uh, supervise it, but you got to do it because people got to get to work because guess what? Now they work in Seoul and how are you going to get there? Well, you got to build your freeways. Mm. So, you know, and, Seoul became such a focus mm. that the ur- that the rural areas, the Shigor, were like left to die or to join, right? And so, in in particular, in Park um, Machine's work in Pulipcharam, the uh, you have this representation. It's not a, it, I mean, among other things, being gendered. Um, all, if not most, of the characters in the story have dead or dying mothers. Mm. 
um, who, guess what, live in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not on. That's not an accident, right? There's the countryside represented this past, this dying nature or something, at least in my opinion. Um, and if you want to survive, you have to go to Seoul. You have to go to the urban areas. Um, and so I became interested in like this very much ideological divide of past and future or past and present. Um, and if you want to survive, mm. even if it's like on a dirt floor in Seoul, at least you have a job here rather mm-hmm. than whatever you'd be doing farming or something in the countryside. And like, that was, that was the distinction that was being pushed forward by the Park Sung-hee movement and the, the government was you have to get on board. Otherwise it, you're going to get steamrolled. Right. I mean, wow. you're going to get left behind. Um, which is fascinating because, like I said, at th- this is why I'm so interested is because at the same time you had, well, we have to protect our Korean people. Well, which one? Who are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You're talking about the people who suddenly have this idea of like, oh, okay, song modernism. Like, I've heard of that, but I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And then people just tell you top down, here's what it is. Build your house in this such a way. Build whatever in this such a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what other people are doing. Okay. And now you have to live in a pot to, mm. you know, because, you know, because we have to make room for all these whatever. So, um, yeah, I so and th- I think this novel really emphasizes that distinction mm. that was being made, um, that was being forced on different populations in the, in the same country. So I wonder if that's why the, the Tessa and the Tale are also dying out, because you might all associate that with going to the hometown, mm-hmm. going to the countryside and going and doing that. Yeah. But now everybody's just in Seoul and, you know, mm-hmm. the parents are in Seoul. Fewer and fewer people are in the Tibang or in mm-hmm. the countryside. Mm-hmm. The more and more are in Seoul and Seoul's not associated with those things. Mm-hmm. Right. The countryside is associated with the past. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's even a term called the Republic of Seoul nowadays. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there's in Seoul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even for universities or like their companies or mm. just living in Seoul, that that is a term. Mm. And just um, I went to Seoul Women's University, right? Mm. And some of the friends that went to the like similar ranking of universities, mm. but those are in Gyeonggi-do, mm. they would often say to me like, "Oh, but you went to Seoul in Seoul University. That's special. Like mm. that makes you different from me." Mm. Kind of stuff. Even Mm. if the ranking itself is similar, Mm -hmm. I think that there is something romanticizing or like something a promising future thing (laughs) like people made of Mm -hmm. about the soul, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So I highly agree with your insights. Yeah, that's just really interesting because it brings up a lot of issues about first about the ranking thing, Mm -hmm. which I still am trying to wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. Um, But the like. What's what's re- like? Is it access? It, because they assume you're going to have access to X, Y, and Z because you go to a university in Seoul, mm-hmm. or like, is it somehow you're going to learn something because you're in Seoul that you know is going to provide you with a, a better future than me who goes to a university in Gyeonggi-do? You know what I mean? Like, mm. is there a secret that only Seoul people know? <laughs> you know, and it, that's what it seems like, right? Mm. It's like this. Mm. Oh, you have this specific key that opens these doors, like mm-hmm. and this master key, and I I don't because I went to a different, you know, I went to Kangwande or something, and I don't have that master key. I have these specific keys mm-hmm. that only open these doors, yeah. you know, and it, I I don't know. It's is it a mindset? Is it 
true. I think it's both. I don't know. Why so? From where? Um, maybe all of the things that you <laughs> mentioned, mm-hmm. and it's as abstract as the Han thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's just passed down mm-hmm. because, right. like, yeah, in the past, the important companies or like high-ranked things are all in Seoul, mm-hmm. and those thoughts are like handed down to their like childs, mm-hmm. and we just heard to oh, going in Seoul is a very good thing. Mm-hmm. We are heard to like growing up. So maybe yeah, it's just a handed down thing. We don't really know the meaning of it. Yeah, that's what makes it a culture. Yeah, I yeah, because yeah. It's yeah. A, it's yeah, a real you, thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is passed down. And my nephew got accepted to Korea University. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah. but it's the Sejong campus. And it was like, oh my god, uh, no! <laughs> <laughs> How is that even a decision? You should go to the moon. This right. is fantastic. You get to write on your resume. Yep. Right, that he's like, yeah, but it's not in Seoul. Right, and, and I was, wow, right. it really hit home to me how real the the power of Seoul is. Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Anton Schultz wrote in his book, "Hangukindele um, Ishangan Hembok," the strange happiness of the Korean people. Um, he wrote in one of his chapters, people would rather be unhappy in Seoul than happy in the Shigol. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they'd rather sleep on the floor and yeah. do that. But what I like. Tanner is that this was happening in the 70s. Oh, very much. Yeah. It's not a modern, you know, that is modern, I guess. The 70s Mm. is modern, Mm. but it was even happening back then. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's an interesting distinction with the generational difference. I think you mentioned that it's being it's just sort of passed down and you sort of inherit this this type of uh, aptitude or, or, you know, whatever about it. Um, But then. At that time, it, it seemed a, more forced, uh, at least in the, the text that I've read. It's, it seemed like do or die, more or less. And maybe to a certain extent it is still mm-hmm. a do or die kind of thing. Um, depends on who you ask, I guess. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's for survival. I think in the very basic sense, um, it seemed, oh, my, I'm seeing a lot more similarities now that you mentioned that. <laughs> um Maybe not to such a drastic extent, but I th- I think I still do see the the survival instinct to to just get a job because the the countryside did not have jobs. I mean, it just wasn't it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Or for different pursuits, who knows? I mean, if you wanted to be an artist, or if you wanted, to, it's not just oh, I got to go there and be a factory worker. It's yeah. like people have other aspirations, but um, I think that it it was just opportunity. I mean, you hear about something uh, in the countryside and you, you want to go there. I mean, it's not unlike people going to New York City to become an actor or, or a playwright or something. It's like, go that's to, where things happen. Go to California. Yeah. <laughs> or something right. like that. Yeah, or, yeah. And I, I'm going to be an actor. Well, where do you go to be an actor? New York or L.A.? Yeah. Maybe Chicago. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it's... But I think Korea is a very strong example of that. But I, the more... You mentioned that, and the more I think about, you know, where you go to school, where your hakbu was, is all very, very important mm-hmm. still. And I think, I think it still shows, to me, uh, that Korea still is a very small society. Mm-hmm. I think uh, South Korea is very small, especially Seoul. Um, I, I think it's, it's very, very close knit still. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how individualistic people get. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have those connections. Mm-hmm. You have to have those whatever. 
Um, and maybe that's why Sogate thing is still around. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know this person yep. and I don't want you to go out and just see what you can find. It's like, I know this person, mm-hmm. you should meet this girl or this guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it still exists. It's still very much <laughs> close knit. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Th- so these things keep popping up even in a, a very hyper individualizing country. Mm. Um, we drive like an hour and a half, two hours to go to this one dentist that's a family friend. Like right. I'm like, there's a dentist <laughs> right next to our house. It's like, no, this is my on knee and right. this and it's, it's yeah. because that's connections. Yeah. Dentists are not cheap. You've got kids, braces, implants, all of this stuff going on. So mm-hmm. there's a financial thing, but there's also, no, that's my on knee. Mm-hmm. That's my older sister, not her real sister, but that's a, a graduate school connection. And over there yep. is that. And our hairdressers, our dentists and things like this, they're not always done through sort of this um, bureaucratic, identity free, mm-hmm. capitalist way. Still today in society, they're run through our hairdressers connected to us in some way. Yep. Our dentist is connected to us in some way through these jobs or military graduate school things like mm-hmm. that yeah. yeah it's a very it's still a very small society i think in in a lot of so ways so the really interesting thing is yunso when you said but i didn't live during the 1970s and, and none of us did but maybe mm. it's not that different mm. because it feels like no this is a whole nother world these people didn't have smart they they had nothing but right. then was it that different what is it like reading because i'm I just finished reading Shogun and that's 16th mm. century Japan. And mm. yes, that is different. There's samurai yeah, and there's a ritual suicide and death and right. all of this. That's very different. But is 1970s Korea that different from 2024 Korea? I nearly got that wrong. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I almost corrected you before. You did say 2023. Yeah. <laughs> like my mom, I don't know if you heard that. I think that's. It's interesting, and I think the more we talk about it, the more I'm seeing similarities, which is great because this is all fueling. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, I th- I think that's one of the main um, goals or research uh, concepts that you have to uh, think about as you're as you're writing or as you research or whatever is the relevance of your research to today, because if I just wrote in such a way that it was just mattered at that time, it wouldn't, it's not important um, because we don't live in the 1970s Korea, South Korea. But um, I think it's, I think it's still there. And I think the, the origins of something are there. I mentioned national literature before um, that it, it was such a big topic. Like we need to decide what this means. And I don't think they did. I mean, how can you? Um, but I think it's very much alive. And so all these aspects are still very much 50 years, 60 years later are still around. We still have problems of the noisiness of Seoul. How do we deal with our uh, how do we deal with the countryside in a way that's not uh, pandering to them, but also um, in a way that's not leaving them behind? It's not steamrolling them because, of you know, for the sake of modernity, whatever that means. Um, and so I'm trying. Yeah. I'm, this is one thing that I've constantly have to consider mm. is how can I bring this up to today? How does this, why does this matter? Mm. Um, I need, so you need to point out, see, see how this is developed. Yeah. This was very similar or mm. this started in this particular time. And now we're seeing the, the results of it or the, the effects of it or whatever. Um, 
yeah, I th- I th- I think it's still there. I think it's yeah, and I I hope that the literature today, uh, in South Korea, but also in other places, I hope it's resonating with people with South Koreans, um, not just for a Sunung thing, mm. you know, which I but that's not a specifically South Korean problem. That's everywhere. Yeah, you know, you're you're kind of these are the books that are on the curriculum. This is what you read. And, you know, maybe maybe when you're in graduate school, you can realize, oh, this is actually important. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I think it also depends on the teachers. Yeah. I, I, I had to read Hamlet and things like that. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I read To Kill a Mockingbird, loved it. I lo- maybe I just like reading. But mm-hmm. also the teachers and Korean people now, to their credit, are incredibly literate. Mm-hmm. Incredibly literate Korean They're people. They're one of the most literate societies of in the world read and write to very high standards and uh, if you compare it to other parts of the world or even if you compare it to Korea I heard that when they go and vote and they use those little red uh, stamps and Mm -hmm. they'll put it on there they did that because when they were first voting they couldn't read or write and so Mm -hmm. people were just going stamp the second one Mm -hmm. and so that was a a demonstration that Mm. people couldn't actually the literary rates were so low Mm. and what they've achieved in terms of that well yeah maybe it hasn't made these souls like Mm. you're saying these soulless people but maybe that's the next step to read and write and I wonder what it's like to write novels in a non-democratic society Mm -hmm. like I write a column every week and I I never worry about well can I say this Mm -hmm. can I swear if I want let's throw a swear word in there this week and I don't like to swear and be abrasive but I want to say that and Uh I want to say this and you know I try not to self-censor I try to be real but imagine writing in a non-democracy right Mm -hmm. imagine writing where Pak Tung sat in his office and Mm -hmm. he could say yeah and get to Namsan that must be weird yeah it's uh and when you read more uh, about the the censoring and the censorship practices of specifically Yushin Shide, mm. uh, you like it was so arbitrary. It was so random. There was no structure to it. It was just this guy happened to read this particular short story on this Tuesday, and didn't like this sentence, mm. and therefore whatever shut the whole publishing place down. Like <laughs> you know whatever. Uh, it was just so random, mm. so arbitrary. Um, that it just shows the the ridiculousness of it, of it all, of is, the of the whole practice. That just for the sake of, well, I don't like this. Is there anything that the writers are saying but not saying? Do you see what I mean? Mm. If you were writing and you know that someone's watching you, you know that the president's watching you. Like mm-hmm. I can't say that, but I want to say that. Mm-hmm. I want to say the president sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I can't say that. Yeah. Is there is there a I'm not sure what you call this, a secondary text or something going on, or are there unwritten things? Because mm. we're the books that you've chosen, very good ones, very critical ones, but mm. they're the ones that survived. Yeah. Mm. Do you see what I mean by this? I wonder what didn't survive or what they wanted to say, or if you took away all the constraints from them, if you t- gave them democracy, mm. yeah. and then you ask them, what do you really want to say? I wonder what would come out then. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of is... Maybe you read this also for Kim <laughs> Tiha, uh, the Five Bandits. Uh, mm. um, yeah, that's the it's, only. It's the long poem, isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, and sort of a reference to the Japanese colonial mm. period, whatever. Um, sorry, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, but he, guess what? He got in trouble for that, and he was. Uh, I think he had. 
I don't know if he was sentenced to death for that one or if he just, oh, he was tortured. Sorry. Mm. As if that's better. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was, it was there. I don't know what went unpublished or what, um, because it's chances are those texts are just gone, Mm. burned and whatever. But, um, yeah, uh, that's the only one I can think of right now that caused such a stir, caused such a, that, you know, we have to go and, uh, torture this writer. Mm. because although he never mentioned my name, I don't like this. And, you know, it's almost like a medieval king mm. kind of thing where I go out and I find this specific right. guy. Right. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's it's very scary, I think, to think that that was a possibility. Yeah. You know, just yeah. for writing something. Uh, didn't go out and harm anybody, didn't call for an uprising, didn't whatever. It was just like, I don't really like the, how things are going in my city or my country right now and you get tortured for it and yeah. you know, so very very it's surprising but also unsurprising how far the like humans can go against each other because of power and because mm. of things like that so mm. yeah and how if you grow up not able to speak your own language you grow up not being able to express your own thoughts i'm talking mm-hmm. about japanese colonization mm-hmm. and then dictatorship and then you say well, ah, korean people don't speak up enough in class Right. You're like, well, well, you know, what have they been doing for the last hundred years? They've been, right. that, they could die mm-hmm. if they did that. To express their inner thoughts right. uh, is, is a very interesting thing. Um, Kim Jia Jihai was his pen name, meaning basement, yeah. which right. is, a, is a nice one. Do you feel, and so in modern society, do you feel any like, oh, I shouldn't say that? Like, mm. do you work? Because these people were writing when mm. they could have been in trouble from Park Tongi and things like that. Mm. Do you feel like any pressure today in society about what you type or what you say? Not, what, yeah. Um, to be honest, like today, it was meant to talk about Park Tongi as well, right? Yeah. So I felt a little cautious mm. today, like beca- before coming yeah. here, yeah. yeah. Because I wanted to be a journalist in the future, then my <laughs> intrusive thoughts said, said that, what if this become a like, problem or something yeah that see that but that's that's the it's left over it's still very potent in that in that mm. regards like that the fact that you even might be s- just at a minuscule level concerned about anything about your future or what you might say about mm-hmm. a president who's been dead for f- almost 50 years um, but maybe that's maybe that's my privilege to say that as an American, you know, and these these are the sort of issues that come up often in these conversations of mm. international communication. I was raised not to say certain things because of this might happen. Mm. But for me, I'm like, ah, I can say whatever, mm. you know, and like I have to be conscious of that, you know. Even in the latest movies, Hole Bom, mm-hmm. uh, the one about Chandu-wan's yeah, yeah. coup d'etat, yeah. they didn't call him Chandu-wan. Yeah, it was Chandu mm. Guan or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, come on. We all know. <laughs> Everybody knows it. it was, I can't remember what Dote like was yeah. or something like right. that. Yeah. Right. But the fact that they didn't do that really took me and sort of said, yeah, this country is still mm-hmm. very sensitive mm-hmm. to certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I'm caught between two things because like you, Tanner, I think, no, it's very important to try to speak and speak the truth because you don't really know what you think sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I really, like, really? And you, you have to get it out and find out and make mistakes and be wrong. Mm-hmm. But the idea of always self-centering and not saying things, I mean, I think we're very lucky to live in the societies we do. 
mm. that we should try to exercise that because then we can communicate with people. Mm. At the same time, you need to be sensitive and you want to try to, right. you know, be careful of your positions and things like that. Mm. Yeah. So you really worried that? Oh wow! If I say something about this, that in the future they might dig this up. Yeah, a little years. bit worried. Yeah, interesting. The is forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. haunting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll ask you when we stop the record. <laughs> <laughs> There's no record. Of it. Yeah. Um, just as we bring this to a close, because yeah. we've it's been lovely. Any book recommendations? Any reading records? Because we've talked a bit about books and everything mm -hmm. else today. But uh, any of you, like, what are you reading? What do you want to read? Reading for 2024 for other people? Uh, I definitely recommend, um, I can't remember the Korean title, unfortunately, but uh, Cursed Bunny mm. is a, if you've heard of it, uh, it was up for, it was a finalist in the, in at least in English, uh, as a, National Book Award winner in the U.S. Mm. Um, from the translation from uh, Anton Ho. Um, but uh, that one is by Bora Kim? Bora, I think. It's a right? definitely Kim a Bora. Bora. I had yeah. Bora, but I didn't have the family oh, name. Oh, my God. I'm I think so it's sorry Bora if I'm yeah. butchering, uh, if I'm forgetting the fam the surname. Um, but, yeah, definitely recommend that. It's mm. a, Have you heard of it? Have you, Just uh, heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very... Like bordering on the magical realism, scientific, uh, you know, weird things are happening, but it's just accepted as normal. Um, very, very good book. Book. The translation is excellent. That's I think why he's up for an award for it. He does good uh, work these days, yeah. doesn't he, Anton? Huh? Yes. He's really busy. And... Um, yeah, super busy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, good on him. I yeah. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of texts from the '70s aren't translated, except for. Ma mainly thanks to the efforts of Bruce and Chuchan Fulton, mm. who have translated so many texts, mm. uh, mostly short stories from the 70s. Um, there's a lot of, you know, modern Korean mm. literature, like uh, uh, anthologies and things like that. But novels um, are rare, I think, in translation, especially from that time. I'd be rude if I didn't say Brother Anthony's name. <laughs> yeah, right. But, about, yeah. He does yeah, so much. He does so much, too. Like, um, and, uh, but I also, yeah, Hangang... Um, her human acts yeah. text is very good. I recommend that um, about the Kwangju uprising. Um, there's a there's a scene or a chapter in that where like it's a conversation with the soul leaving the body. Yeah, and it's right. Like, wow. Yeah, it's a very, very, very good. Have text. you heard Hangang talk? No. She, she kind of talks like this. Oh, she, she, and it's because she, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cause offense, but yeah. she has a very kind of powerful way of writing and it's very, yeah. it, it, it's loud to me. Uh -huh. But then I heard her voice. I was like, wow. <laughs> it's the kind of voice that would sing you a lullaby going to sleep or something. Yeah. It really affected me in a way. Interesting. No, I'd never heard her speak actually. Yeah. Not There's got bits mind. where she reads her work online mm -hmm. and things like this. So Cursed Bunny, Human Axe. Mm -hmm. um, the Dwarf, obviously. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can reread it yeah, and sure, get something sure. new out of yeah. it. Uh, sounds like a teacher again. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, right. um, yeah otherwise, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of short stories that I, I mean, too many to name um, that are just in Korean, modern Korean anthologies. Otherwise... Anything that you can get your hands on um, that's translated into English from Yi Guangzhou mm. um, to, I mean, he's a controversial figure in himself um, because of his Chinilpa, 
like kind of Japanese-ish leaning. But anyway, besides that, the texts themselves are so good mm. and so I think beyond their time. Uh, it, you know, uh, in terms of dealing, like he has a story called Maybe Love uh, that deals with a potential gay. Uh, meeting or uh, feelings between two men and it's never really explicitly said obviously for obvious reasons mm. but like even a hundred years ago so this this shows i think that the study of korean literature has this potential that's not just you know enmeshed in like modernized k-pop-ish like Gangnam korea yeah you know it's there's a there's a very strong tradition to korean literature that's been there uh and Lee gwang su is very much the reason why that is. And I think to start with him would be a, a good idea um, for anybody who might be interested in, in Korean literature. Um, but yeah, otherwise. Cause there's a, it's fascinating. Cause there's a weird idea that if you want to understand Korea, you have to read the history books, but sometimes you can get more yeah. truth from the fiction. Yeah. There's, right. the, there's that kind of paradox. You mm-hmm. any, any books or any ideas, any thoughts about reading? Um, you don't have to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do any like mm-hmm. Um Personally, I thought that I I should read The Dwarf again, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think that I should try Sosaroga Kubo Shie Iril because I never thought that the the mental and thinking thing could be a place. So mm-hmm. I thought that with that approach, that would be very interesting to read that mm-hmm. novel. Maybe leave dictate for another ten years or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's almost like yeah, maybe or maybe read it and then read it again in ten years yeah. and see mm. what happens. Yeah, that was like how I felt with Catcher in the Rye. Like I felt like I have to mm. read this every turning point of my life to get mm. something new out of it. Um, we once but, yeah. walked down the road. It was my one of my best friend's favorite books, and we we were coming back from a festival. Um, one summer obviously a little bit worse for wear we'd been away for two mm. three days we were mm-hmm. walking back and we found in the middle of the road a brand new copy of catcher in the rye it was just there it was just there in the middle of the road here back in the uk oh okay but it was just just there interesting we picked up nice. and he and he's like i've got a couple of copies of this already it's my favorite book but there it was and we didn't quite believe it and i yeah. texted him the next day it was like yeah it's still there <laughs> it's, it's still it's a, there. yeah yeah. Isn't that a great metaphor? Finding books. It's always there. It's nice to hand on books to other people. It's nice to pass on books yeah. to other people. It's I nice to let other people read. Mm-hmm. I would I would just close up maybe by saying that uh, I recent the first book I read this year was uh, Albert Camus' collection of essays, The Myth of Sif- Sisyphus. Mm. And while I like the first one, at the back of that book, there's these four or five short essays that he wrote, and they're kind of like travel bits of writing and anyone that's read my columns recently if you read those you'll see ah they're picking up similar ways of approaching subjects Mm. there was this line at the start of one of them and the line get it as best i can was something like this it had been raining for five days consistent consistently it'd been raining for five days consistently and by the end of the fifth day even the sea was wet Mm. I told that to my wife and she looked at me and I said, isn't that amazing? She went, that's nonsense. <laughs> How can the sea be? And I just, all right, stop, stop. We're not yeah. having that conversation. Yeah. But I loved it that even the sea got wet uh-huh. after five days. That, that was something that really moved me. Albert Camus kind of like a travel writing. Mm. He's a beautiful writer, all philosophy aside, but that that was something. Mm. Any any final words or any, anything to, to shout out, Tanner? 
I just hope that people enjoy reading. Uh, that's that's ultimately my goal. I hope to become a teacher or, or professor, and this is these types of conversations I think are so important and so special um, in any context, whether it's a classroom or in a bar or whatever. Uh, so I think if I don't know, it sounds really cliche, but I think if we keep reading, I think there's always something to do. There's always something to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so we need people to write too. Um, and then people that cover the news stories, maybe, mm. uh, about this new fiction that's like blowing everybody's minds. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I hope that this type of literature can, you know, there's a reason that it's still around. There's a reason that people like me are still reading it and talking about it. Um, so maybe, yeah, I hope that it'll keep being that way. Mm. Yeah. And thank you for having me today. Thank you for being here. Lovely. And relax. Okay. Well, That's it. Okay. So anyway, Park Chung Hee. Thank you. Still hot Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Yun that was your first three-hour one. Oh wow. That's, that's pretty good. Didn't even get a seventy-five. Not even a fifteen-minute break. <laughs>